Monumental Sports and Entertainment along with Pressbox presents Stan the Fans Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan and Craig Heist bat around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at Stan the Fan. Now sit back and enjoy the bat around. Guys, take it away. Well, we appreciate your listening or watching on this Saturday, May the 19th, where the royal wedding is taking place in jolly old England, and the Preakness is taking place at the corner of uh, Park Heights and uh, Northern Parkway over there at Old Hilltop. Yes. Stan the Fan, Craig Heist, Brittany Everett here in a rainy Baltimore City. And uh, I'm done. You're done. I'm done with this rain. Are you? Yes. You know what? I'm done with more than the rain. It's like I got out of the house. I knew it was pouring, but I still put shorts on because it's May 19th. Yeah. And it's like 52 degrees or something like that. No. You're telling me I'm ready for summer. School's done. I'm ready. You're ready to party, aren't I'm, you? Yes. Yeah, you're ready to party. Hey, thank you for not wearing a fancy hat in here today. You're welcome. Brittany. All right. Yeah. Craig, uh, what do you make of the uh, royal wedding over there I in England? I could care less, basically. Really? Yeah. You could care less that yeah. uh, certain people were there, like Serena Williams? Could care less. George Clooney? Could care less. Oprah Winfrey? Could care less. Okay. Donald Trump? Uh, he was not there. I'm just checking mm-hmm. to see if you were paying attention. Yeah, because he has some intelligence. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think he wasn't there because he wasn't invited. Ah. Okay. Like President Obama wasn't invited either, I think. So baseball. Yes, getting back to baseball. All right, what's the story with the Washington Nationals? How clear-cut was that last night that that game had to be? Easily. We knew knew what the weather was going to be like all night long, and uh, so they decided to. And the last thing we heard last night or early yesterday afternoon was the fact that the rain today is supposed to lighten up mid-afternoon. Okay. I'm not so sure that's going to happen now from what I'm hearing, but the idea was to, to play a split doubleheader, first game at 2, second game at 8 tonight. Is there a possibility they could bump game 1 and just play the night game? Is that a possibility? It's possible that they do that, but the other thing is then you'll be forcing the Dodgers to come back here at a certain point. They couldn't play a doubleheader tomorrow? No, because the – well, first of all, the Dodgers – it's their getaway day. Okay. They have to fly all the way back home because they play tomorrow night. Oh, God. Okay. Or on Monday night. I understand. Okay. God forbid they should have – I mean, that's an uh, – that in this day and age, that seems an unfair scheduling situation. Well, yeah, and c- considering yeah. when there's more off days built in yeah. to this schedule – you would think that it would th- it would seem like that would be one thing they try and address, right? Yeah. And and you already have the Orioles making up a, a game, right, from last week with the Phillies, where the Phillies have to come back into town. It's not like now, they're going to be up in Philadelphia; they're coming off a road trip. I think they're in right Saint now. Louis. There, that's eighty-five miles, ninety miles. Right. This is three thousand miles, right? Yeah. But but again, I don't think the Phillies are home. 
I understand they might have to fly in I'm, from I'm St. Louis, St. Louis or right. Chicago or something like that. Okay, gotcha. Uh, but it seems <laughs> like so the Dodgers only come into Washington once right. because of interleague play right. takes up those intra-league uh, dates. Uh, it would seem like they should they should start to look into that scheduling a little bit I would differently. Th- uh, yeah, I yeah. would think so. All right. Um, who is going to pitch if they play in Washington today? It's well, supposed got, to be a 2 o'clock and an 8 o'clock games. Is Max Scherzer going Max in game Scherzer one? Max Scherzer is going in game one, and I believe it's uh, Tanner Roark in game two. Okay. Uh, you don't think there's any way they would flip-flop them to kind of be certain? No. In other words, Scherzer, suppose they started the game at 2.20, and then at 2.50 it starts raining again, they'd lose Scherzer. Well, you know what? Now I'm looking at this, so what the Nationals just uh, put out yeah. with their notes. It says Tanner Rourke first Max Scherzer uh, at night, at least. That's okay. the way I'm reading this email. Okay. Against Ross Stripling, who's like awful against the Nats. Is he? Oh, he's awful. He's been he's pretty got, good this year, yeah, though. He's got an ERA of like, you know, 21 or something okay. against the Nats. Uh, and Rich Hill pitches the other game against uh, Scherzer. Is he just returning from the DL? Rich Hill? Rich Hill? Uh, I believe he's made a couple starts. Okay. All right. Anyway, Orioles get a um, much-needed victory. I won't say it's a big victory right now. Uh, They've got bigger things to fry than calling each win a big win. But it was a much-needed one, Craig, in that it it ended that 13-game road losing streak, which rivaled last year. Uh, They did that between, like, June and July somewhere. They had 13 losses. And all the way back to 1988 when they lost the first (laughs) 13 road games. Right, and 21 in a row to start the season. Uh, Yeah, that was a nice win last night. Uh, And it looked like, although by no real fault of the bullpens, uh, because Mancini dropped a fly ball he should have caught down the left field line. And uh, but I mean I th- I think a couple of nice things happen. Machado stays hot. Boy. Jones had a big hit, uh, and and uh, Chris Davis got the whole thing started uh, in in that one inning with the double to start mm-hmm. the, to start the inning. Uh, but the other thing was Alex Cobb last night gets his night, first Orioles gets victory. his first Orioles win. The fact that you know while he gave up the three runs, he was still. Making some pretty decent pitches when he needed to. I thought his curveball was really good last night. Yeah, I thought that's kind of vintage Cobb. Yeah. Listen, Cobb, at his best, is a consistent kind of two-and-a-half. You know, he's not an ace of a staff. He's not Max Scherzer, but he's not Ubaldo or Wade Miley. He's somewhere well in between and closer to being a solid number two. Maybe gives up a run here or there that you'd like to see off that would make his ERA three 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 four rather than three nine three right but five. the other thing too is with him and I think we've seen it in the in 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 his starts with the Orioles third time through the lineup uh has starts a little to bit, be a little bit of a starts hiccup to there. get a little bit of a hiccup and a little shaky all right that's a good good way to view it you know the um uh, you know but again I know the totality of the season so far at 14 and 30 is not a pleasant, you know, if you lump the whole season together, it's not pleasant. But I have to say, with the way that Bundy has looked in the majority of his performances, the Mm -hmm. way Gosman has looked in the majority of his performances, and assuming that that's going to be closer to the Alex Cobb, 
three-fifths of a solid rotation is something the Orioles haven't had for the past couple of years. Right, and you add Andrew Kashner into that mix. Who's done Who's done okay. Okay, yeah. 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 Uh, although, obviously, the record doesn't indicate that. But I mean, he's, he's 1-5, too. He's 1-5, but he's keeping them in ball games enough. But again, you got to remember, ever since the beginning of the season as a whole, this offense hasn't been what everybody kind of thought it would be. I, I expect them to sit there and manufacture runs and steal bases and do that. Uh, it is a pretty one-dimensional offense, but you you would have expected some some kind of consistency at some level uh, rather than going a stretch of 13 out of 17 or 18 games where they score three runs or less. Yeah. Now, in fairness to them, I think it is a flawed offense. I think it has been since it became apparent in 2014 that their own base percentage was a real Achilles heel. But in fairness to them, not having scope, not having Trumbo was a big difference. And and I have to say, while I don't agree with with kind of the deal that they gave Colby Rasmus, when the season started, based on what I saw in spring training, Colby Rasmus having a decent year would have been a huge help to this team without Trumbo and without Scope. His absence really accentuated the weaknesses they had. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned you mentioned Trumbo. Yeah, and that's uh, now that he's been back, and you see he's hitting about two eighty nine. Yeah, he's doing so a solid he's job. Doing a solid job. Yeah. Um, anyway, the Orioles uh, get the win last night. Cobb best uh, Pomerantz tonight. It's quite a matchup if if Dylan Bundy is on his game. It's Bundy versus Porcello at seven ten there at Fenway Park. What Porcello? Oh, it is Porcello. Porcello. I thought it was Porcello. No. Okay. Porcello. Yeah. It's a Danny Echeverria. A Danny Echeverria. Right. Yeah. And Jake Odorizzi. Uh, hey, now now we're getting somewhere. Rick Porcello. <laughs> right. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I love when I'm doing. I love when I'm doing. Do me one favor. If you're correcting me or giving me a kudos on my mm-hmm. show, my Facebook right. Live, like do it the hyphen thing, like a Danny. You know, if I pronounce right, it right, because right, you go, that's that's my boy or something yeah, like that. Right. And I go, I go. What are you saying? That's my boy. Well, I figured you should yeah, pretty okay. well figure it out. I by can't now. figure that out when I'm at, at my age, Craig. I'm lucky I can figure out how to get on Facebook Live. Uh, anyway, the Orioles are victorious last night, seven to four in Boston. Um, Craig, you know we're going to have a couple interesting guests on the show today, uh, in addition to our usual Rich Dubroff uh, appearance uh, from PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com. He is up at Fenway Park. We're going to have Dan O'Dowd from MLB TV, former GM of the uh, of the Colorado Rockies and former farm director of the uh, Cleveland Indians. We will also have with us Dave Shinen, somebody you know pretty well from over there at the Washington Post, wrote a really interesting piece uh, that that went much further than Rich Dubroff's piece that Jim Palmer did this DNA test. Mm -hmm. But the real purpose of the DNA test, because everybody that sort of knows Jim around here, and Jim's been in Baltimore for, what, 50 years, uh, knows that he was adopted. And there were rumors that uh, were around for a long, long time that he might have been an illegitimate child of one of the Kennedys, and most specifically the former president of the United States, John F. Kennedy Jr., who was known to have perhaps fathered uh, uh, an extra child here or there. Uh, And it was 
Back in those days, if you, you did not have abortions if you were Catholic. So what they would do is they, would, they wouldn't just put it up for adoption without taking the further steps of, of making sure the child went to a good home. Mm-hmm. And Jim Palmer went to a wealthy family um, in New York City, and uh, there were rumors that he was a Kennedy. And I talked to Jim about this about seven or eight years ago up in uh, the media, you know, in the cafeteria of the media uh, dining hall. And he said, ah, I could care. I really could care less. You know, I've heard it, you know, and all this. I said, you're not interested? No, nah, not really. But his third wife um, got him interested in it, mm-hmm. or at least her interest made him go through with uh, taking the swab and doing the DNA test which proved unequivocally that he is not a Kennedy. And they actually tracked down his, know who his real father was. I think he was a bookmaker well, and in the Boston. Other, the other thing, what too, with Jim, I, I think as he's gotten older, yeah. he's probably appreciated the fact that maybe he should, maybe he should find yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so, so congratulations to him for that. Yeah. I mean, certainly. I think it's great. I think, I think it's, it's great, great. yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, we'll have uh, Dave Shining on to talk about that. Then our old friend Mike Shallon will join us, the official scorer. Uh, and uh, did he do last night's game? I'm not sure if he did or not. I'm not sure if he's the one who called the Mancini. I'm gonna because see, I have, oh, I have. I thought it was definitely an error. I have Xander Bogarts. Though. Yeah. Uh, well, so to yeah. me, it was a double. Uh-huh. I thought it was clear cut. <laughs> That's right. I'm keeping my fingers crossed the whole time. Well, Xander, Xander hit a. Clear cut home run the night before. Yes, he did off of Kevin Gosman, which prompted and the manager. Yeah, and I mean, what a what a telltale sign for the pitcher at that point because Buck comes out of the dugout, he beats Bogarts, and beats Bogarts because Bogarts is just round third, third as Buck is crossing the foul line into into did, the field of play to go get Gosman. Did you hear what Thorne Thorn asked him about it? Mm-hmm. I got to give Gary credit. He really does. He asked yeah. all the questions we want. And Buck goes, I did not mean to show anybody up. He goes, I was just furious at that. You know, I, I'm sure the stolen bases were getting to him. Yeah, and there were and, five of them. And perhaps that one pitch to Bogarts <laughs> got to him. So he ran out there. He goes, you know what you tell him, Gary? He goes, Tell him it was about pace of play that I, <laughs> that I probably saved two minutes by getting out exactly. there. Exactly, and that that in itself just speaks to the sarcasm, number one, but also the underlying truth as to how ridiculous the pace of, the play, pace so. of play is. Uh, and then you've uh, gotten us a guest of some renown. Um, Rich Dubroff has already tweeted to me that I should have spelled it differently. Uh, it's been a long time since I spelled Raphael Palmero, and I spelled Raphael R A P H A E L. It is R A F A E L. Right. But that's who you've lined up for eleven forty. Eleven forty, yeah. And uh, because Rafi is trying to make a comeback, and uh, he is uh, with an independent league team down in Texas, they, the Cleburne Railroaders. Cleburne Railroaders, and uh, he, uh, I think, opened the season last night. It was their first uh, game. Uh, he had played in a couple of exhibition games, but uh, they started the season last night. And uh, he's going to talk to us as to how he feels. Well, number one, yeah, what was it like getting up out of bed this morning? No. <laughs> Uh, he's not on the DL yet, is no, he? No, okay. but we're going to talk to him about that. And Look, he's playing with one of his sons. He's playing with Preston. Preston. I'm, I'm sorry. Preston yeah. is in the Preston's Orioles. Preston's in the Orioles. 
Uh, he's playing uh, with his older son. Okay. Uh, and we should find out. Well, the name. no, his name escapes me right now, and I should know it, and I don't. And you know, it's what's the Patrick? Diff- Patrick. Right. I don't know why. I was going to say if even if we knew it, I would probably pronounce it no. wrong. Patrick Palmero and Patrick had uh, been in the White Sox organization. Right. And uh, is he also a first baseman, Patrick? No, he's third baseman. Right. Third and did baseman. I hear that Preston he's is now playing, playing second, second base? base? Yes. Wow, yes. that's yes. interesting. A little interesting, but uh, got off to a great start with the uh, Frederick Keys after uh, making the jump from low A to high A. So we'll see where this goes with Preston. Uh, I mean, the bat and the swing looks exactly like his dad. You you lived down in Delmarva at some points, right? I mean, did you? I lived, I lived nine years on the shore. Right. Yeah. Did you see much of the? Were the shorebirds there when you were there? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? They were there as I was about Whites? to leave. Okay, they and weren't an Oriole. Well, they the one year they were not the the initial year the inaugural year were they, they the were, White Sox no the the Montreal Expos in okay. fact I saw Orlando Cabrera wow play down in Delmar wow uh, because somebody in the Oriole organization told me you know there's a lot of per, uh, percolating excitement about the pitchers down there yes there and, 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 and he very, warned me he said. Let's see how they do when they jump to Frederick. And one of them, I think, just went up. I think Bowman just went up. Uh, he said the strike zone down in Delmarva is just gigantic. Mm-hmm. So he was sort of pumping the brakes on all this excitement about those pitchers. Well, and again, it's 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 a progression, and is the, the, the it's a process, as they it's like to process. say Sorry. nowadays. Uh, but but he is right about that. You have a wider, a little bit of a wider strike zone in the. South Atlantic League than in the Eastern League. All right. Recapping, Rich Duboff joins us in about three or four minutes. Dan O'Dowd of MLB TV, Dave Shinen of the Washington Post, Mike Shallon of the New Hampshire Union leader slash Boston Red Sox official scorer or MLB official scorer at Fenway Park, and Rafael Palmero. It's a great show today. It really is. One befitting a royal wedding. Um Real quick. Um, we should get our hats out then. <laughs> real quick. The, the Cleveland Indians, yeah. it's interesting to me. I think we could argue clearly the Houston Astros won the World Series last year, but I think a lot of us think that the best team throughout the regular season in both leagues were the Cleveland Indians and the Dodgers last year. Um, you know, we could argue about that a little bit, but the point is both are having really troubling seasons this year. The Indians are leading their division by a game and a half over the Tigers, yet they are under 500 at 21 and 22. Mm-hmm. Your thoughts on the Indians from a year ago to the first 43 games of this year? Well, just on the outside looking in, I know they've had trouble offensively a little bit, yep. and, and, and that's a little surprising when you think about, you know, Encarnacion being in that lineup and and the year Brantley the is year having Brantley's having a good year. Right. So from that standpoint, Kipnis is not. No, uh but uh, from a pitching standpoint though, I think that's what'll probably see them through in the end. Yeah. Uh I know that uh uh their bullpens had a little bit of a hiccup here and there, so maybe that's not as solidified as Terry Francona would like it and Andrew Miller has uh had a had a little hiccup here lately, so it's back to you. Got to get him back on track. So yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. All right. Now, how about the Dodgers? What do you make of them so far? Well, they're in D.C. obviously for the weekend, and uh, it's been a tough word to hold. They just got Turner back. 
So that's going to help them. But they've been without Kershaw well, for a good while. Right. Rayu, who was on a comeback trail, he's been out. They've Hill's been, without, been out. They've been without Kershaw, but the other thing was Kershaw wasn't pitching very well before he went right. on the deal. Right. So. And, and Seager is and, yeah. out for the season. Corey Seager out for the year. Yeah, all And that's right. one of the reasons why you're hearing all the talk about Manny Machado and whether or not he's a fit out there. Seven and a half games behind the Diamondbacks, who have struggled lately. They're 2-8, and eight, but the Dodgers are 2-8 and eight during that same eight-game streak. Right, and the Diamondbacks, uh, they got swept by the Nationals in their home ballpark over the weekend last week, mm-hmm. uh, and that was the first series that the Diamondbacks had lost all year long. Okay. Well, since then, they're 2-8 and eight of their last ten games. All right, joining us now... From Boston, uh, where he's probably had his first bowl of chowder uh, this morning, is Rich Dubroff of PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com and occasionally MLB.com. Rich Dubroff, how are you, my friend? I'm great, Stan. How are you? All right. Uh, What was the attitude like in that clubhouse last night? Uh, That was a much-needed psychological win for the Orioles. Right you are, Stan. Uh, You know, I I think the... uh it was just such a relief, I think, for Alex Cobb to finally get a win. I know the team badly needed the win, and and interestingly, that long road losing streak started in Boston, ends in Boston. His losing streak started in Boston. Cobb's losing yep. streak started in Boston, ends in Boston. So a bit of symmetry there. Uh, how did you think he looked last night? I thought he looked. I thought he looked acceptable. Uh, you know, I, I thought he looked, you know, pretty good for the first uh, first four innings. And, you know, at first it didn't look good because the Orioles had some chances early they didn't capitalize on. But uh, but then they, uh, you know, then they came, then they came through and uh, they were able to, you know, able to get uh, Mookie Betts retired uh, finally uh, when, uh, when it really counted. Yeah, they certainly have had their problems with Mookie Betts, much the way the Boston Red Sox have had a problem with the uh, number 13 of the Baltimore Orioles, who's uh, just yeah, continuing really to... Right now, those guys look like, uh, you know, two of the best players in baseball. That's because they are. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, Machado really uh, really has looked good uh, up here, and, especially, and of course, throughout the season. And, and Mookie Betts, well... He's just terrific, isn't he? Uh, he's some some ball player. When you look at uh, what Manny's been able to do uh, and consistently throughout the first uh, six, seven weeks of this season, uh, number one, I think you can tell he's in a contract year. And number two, uh, do you think there's any kind of sense of, I don't know, frustration, for lack of a better word, that the team is in the situation it is, but yet Manny is doing everything he can to try to help them win? Well, he, uh, I mean, the whole team is, the whole team is frustrated because you look at the, you know, you look at the team and what they have 10, 10 all-stars on this team. Right. Uh, if you count, if you count two guys who are uh, on the disabled list in, uh, O'Day and Britain and, you know, and, and these guys obviously should be doing, uh, you know, should be doing a lot better than they are. Uh, you know, a lot of time it looks like sometimes scope is trying to make up for, uh, you know, what's been missing behind him you know putting him in the in, in the fourth hole uh and uh, you know it, it's been it's been very very difficult for them uh and, and you know they're starting to get some decent starting pitching you know starting pitching seems to you know for the most part have been uh you know have been better gosman 
kind of being the outlier uh, uh, Thursday night. Uh, but I think overall, you know, he's been pitching. He's been pitching okay. Uh, it, it's kind of hard to explain. Uh, you know, nobody. I don't think anybody ever thought they'd have this kind of record. Uh, you know, uh, quarter no, th- of the way or so I, into the season. I think we thought at at worst it was a near five hundred team with a yeah, chance if a couple things and, went I right. Could eighty and eighty two. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Rich, uh, a couple things. I, you know, I've been critical of the Machado to shortstop uh, move uh, since since I, it was announced. Uh, but I have to admit that uh, since Jonathan Scope's return, I'm seeing a much uh, steadier Manny Machado at shortstop, and I'm wondering, are they positioning him a little bit differently? Is he up a little closer, or is it just maybe he's more comfortable with uh, with his his buddy over at second base? I, I just well, think... Well, I, I think that, and I think, you know, Scope's play, he doesn't have to cover try and cover as much ground, you know? I think that's a, I think that that's a big thing, you know. With scope back, the Orioles are six and three. Right. Uh, over you know overall, uh, with scope you know with scope in the lineup, uh, you know they're uh, what eleven and uh, eleven and thirteen I think. Right. Uh, and then without him, they were uh, yeah they're what, like three, three and, 17. and seventeen. Yeah. So you know I mean with him in the lineup. Overall, I mean, they're not great, but they're they're sort of closer to to, to sort of the the uh, you know the semi competitive team. But you know those those three weeks with him out were just uh, were just death. And the fact that Trumbo is now back, Rich, I think uh, means a little bit too more to this lineup because uh, even though he had a uh, you know got his feet wet, he was he was struggling the first couple of games. He's hitting two eighty nine, and he's. Uh, you know, uh, being the Mark Trumbo, I think that everybody kind of expects to have in that lineup, and I think it's a matter of time before you see him start hitting home runs again, too. Well, I, you know, I I think it's it's been hard because you know Davis is in front of him and in back of him, and and Davis continues to be the elephant in the room, uh, and uh, and Trumbo, I think, you know, as you. Uh, as you, as you surmise, Craig, will probably be, you know, he'll probably end up having close to his sort of lifetime average. Not the, not the Trumbo we saw in 2016, uh, but I think better than the Trumbo we saw last year. Right. We're talking with Rich Duboff of PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com. Rich, since we, uh, we last spoke, uh, I know you were on with uh, Craig, I believe, uh, two weeks ago. But since we last spoke, a couple additions to the rosters and a couple, um, you know, subtractions from the roster. As Santander goes to Bowie, Joey Rickard brought up from Norfolk, and then just the other day, and in, in I, I won't call it a shocker, but uh, they did bring up catcher Andrew Suzak and uh, sent down uh, catcher Caleb Joseph, number one. How did Joseph handle the news, and what was the the real purpose behind that? Well, I think that they they felt that Joseph uh, had kind of not been playing up to snuff defensively. Mm-hmm. You know, overall, overall he wasn't hitting well. You know, he wasn't hitting well, but he hit, did have a five game hitting streak, which I didn't I didn't notice at the time. He had, he had a five game hitting streak uh, at the time he was sent down, and he thought he was starting to to put it together. But they felt, I, I think, defensively. 
that he hadn't done as well. You know, if you looked at at his historical uh, numbers, you know, his best year in in throwing out base runners came in his first year, mm-hmm. and he was around forty percent. This year, uh, fifteen out of nineteen runners who tried to steal were successful against him. Chance Cisco, who uh, came into the season with huge question marks defensively, right, has thrown out half his runners, nine of eighteen. Right, and you know, at the beginning of the season, if you had asked people, they would have thought, well, Joseph would have been the guy throwing out fifty percent, mm-hmm. and Cisco, the guy throwing out twenty-one percent. So they they want him to to improve the, defensively to get back to to what he had been defensively. So so what do you make of it using those stats as the reason? What do you make of the fact that Suzak's first game here, uh, now granted, they didn't steal the bases off of Suzak. They stole him off of Gosman. Do you think the Red Sox saw something about Gosman in film work, or do yes. you think they saw something about Suzak? No, they saw something in Gosman. I think they saw something in, Go- they saw something in Gosman because Suzak never even had a chance to I throw know. last night. Yeah. He uh, he he threw out a you know he threw out a runner you know and they all go on his record too yeah um, yeah so right now it, it looks like well he's one for six but uh, everyone knows that uh, that those bases were uh, were stolen off Gosman it was interesting because Gosman had uh, not even had nobody had even tried to steal yeah a base against Gosman before so obviously they saw something and and they're going to have to correct it before his next start i think i think part of it was they they saw and we know that we we've seen gosman get better obviously here of late with the new wind up if you will with holding the ball up over his head before uh how much of that or what they saw with him in the stretch it would be interesting to see because you know when when they sent joseph down uh, I was listening to Jim Hunter the other night, or he actually was last night, where, you know, someone asked Buck, you know, what was that conversation like? And he basically didn't say a whole lot. He basically said, I'd like to keep that between Caleb and myself. Well, he said he said it was a very, he said it was a very, very difficult one. Caleb oh, sure. did not take the news um, very well. And that uh, he, he made some points. I think, I think knowing Caleb, he probably made the points that, he was, uh, you know, that, that he was hitting, you know, it started to hit well, and that he shouldn't be blamed for the, you know, the inconsistent pitching. Uh, and I don't know that they were blaming, you know, I don't know that they were blaming him for that. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think maybe, you know, this, this series, uh, you have three left-handers starting for Boston. So you're, you're likely, you know, you're going to see a right-handed hitter three times and, and chance Cisco once, but over the long haul, you'll, you'll probably see Cisco more and Joe and Joseph or Susack less. But I, I think that maybe Joseph would be better as sort of a, a backup guy. Yeah. You know, it seems like maybe, you know, backing up weeders or backing up Wellington Castillo or backing up chance Cisco, uh, Caleb would be better than, uh, than, being the number one guy. Well, I think he certainly fits that role, and that's the role that he's more accustomed to. 
Well, a, you know, you know, it's interesting you say that because I've I've watched Caleb's career a little bit. Caleb, because he stayed at Bowie for about six years, Caleb actually is much more used to starting more games than sitting more games. And I remind well, you, I remind you that is, I remind you, Rich. Let me finish, Rich. I remind you that his best offensive season was when he came up the year that Matt Weeders was hurt and played at just about every day. Well, actually, I think he split the time with Nick Hundley that year. Okay. Yeah, and, and um, again. But it just seems like that he, every other year, you know, that he never can put two consistent years together, you know. And it just seems that, you know, it's like 16 he, he, mm-hmm. he played – he had that awful year. 17, he had a rebound, and this year it yep. looked in some ways like 16 again. So I, I just think that he's overall, you know, Chance Sisko's going to be their guy. Yep. That, that he's, their, he's their guy to be the catcher. You know? and, and let's move to the, the right field situation and the return of Joey Rickard. Is this a short-term thing, or is it up in the air based on how Rickard hits? I, I think, I, I think it's... You know, when a team is playing as badly as it is, Stan, I, I think that every, anything is basically short-term. <laughs> That's a good point. Good point. Um, you know, uh, I, I think that, uh, you know, they felt that Santander needed to play every day. I mean, he, he wasn't even hitting, two, you know, he wasn't even hitting 200. He yep. showed that he need. you know, he showed that there were some, um, he showed that, that there was some potential there. Yep. And, and there uh, were still some to, holes you know, in his game. Yeah. Sorry? So there were some holes in his game, though. Yep. There were holes in his game offensively. Defensively, they thought he was a lot better. They thought that he was – they were happy with his de- – they were happy with his defense. But what they don't have now is a left-handed hitting outfielder. Right. And I think that that's going to be – you know, I, I think that you know, that perhaps D.J. Stewart is going to be coming along, but not yet. They need to see more from him. Yep. At AAA, and I know fans are all e- always eager to see, um, you know, players being brought up when the team is struggling. Like a lot of fans want to see Austin Hayes uh, brought he's up, struggling, and, and Hayes yeah. is is really struggling at Bowie. Yeah. So I, I think that you know I, I think that they would really like to have a left-handed uh, hitting outfielder, but you know Alex Presley. Uh, took uh, took his opt out this week, and he's no longer with the organization. Right. Although, you know, if he looks around, maybe he'll he'll come back. They have Jacob Brugman down there, who uh, has some major league experience, but uh, isn't hitting uh, you know all that well. And Michael Saunders, who is hitting very poorly, yeah. uh, you know, is no uh, also took his uh, also is no longer with the club. Now, did he so, take an opt out, or was he just simply released by the Orioles? Yeah, he, he was sort of mutual. mutual. He was sort of mutual. Yeah. Yeah, he was hitting 165. I was stunned. I'm down there in Durham 10 days ago, and I go to a game, and he's batting leadoff, and I realize he's batting leadoff almost every game. He's hitting 165. Well, they were trying to do whatever they could to get, to, him, to going. get him on track. Yeah. They, didn't have, they didn't have him batting leadoff earlier in the season. But I think they they uh, wanted to give you the opportunity to see more at that. <laughs> hey, before we let you go, um, th- there's an opening in the rotation tomorrow. Uh, there's thought that it could be Castro. There's also thought it could be David Hess. It sounded like Buck was leaning more to Showalter. If I mean, was leaning more to Castro 
if he's not used tonight. Yeah, but he was used two nights ago. I know, but yeah. uh, Buck so. alluded to the fact he could still pitch on Sunday. How do you see Sunday's uh, starter shaping up tomorrow? Well, that that's going to be interesting because even though the weather was really good when I woke up, the forecast here is not a favorable one. Okay. So that could end up, uh, Sunday's starter could end up being Dylan Bundy. Okay, gotcha. Okay. Um, so that that's one of the reasons that they haven't, you know, they haven't named it. And also, uh, you know, they did use Castro, but he, he felt that Castro needed to pitch uh, on Thursday uh, because he hadn't pitched. Right. And yeah, he thought if he could pitch him, in, you know, no more than an inning, then Castro would still be, uh, you know, would still be a candidate to start. So how does that play out? What has David Hess done since he's started in Baltimore last Saturday? Well, effectively, has he had a start? I don't think he has. No, no, they because he did the three day thing. They had him take work days to get him ready, and he's he's supposed to he's supposed to pitch tomorrow, whether okay. uh, in Boston or for uh, Norfolk. I was going to say, I, I, I'm, I'll be shocked if he doesn't make that start at Fenway tomorrow. Hess? Yes, yes. Okay, unless tonight's game is rained out. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, Rich, uh, many thanks for being on as always. Uh, uh, you back in town this week? Yes, sir. All right, we'll talk to you next Saturday while the club is in Tampa, all right? All right, Sam, my pleasure. Thanks All right, thank me. you very much. Rich Dubroff does a terrific job for us at PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com. We're going to take our first time out of the day, and I will, uh, I will do a thank you to, uh, to the Aberdeen Ironbirds, right? Because what could be better than a night out at the ballpark with the Aberdeen Ironbirds, Craig? How about... Five nights at the ballpark. Five sold-out weekend games. That's right. You can be a part of the action at five sold-out weekend games. To learn more about the Ironbirds' best ticket plan ever, go to ironbirdsbaseball.com or call 410-297-9292. That's ironbirdsbaseball.com or call 410-297-9292 to find out about the Iron Bird's best ticket plan ever. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Kevin Ack profiles former Oriole Ben McDonald, who's gone from a somewhat disappointing career as a pitcher to being a beloved figure in the broadcast booth. Plus, a recap of Ozzie Newsom's final NFL draft and more. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Arena football is back in Charm City. The Baltimore Brigade, presented by MedStar Health, return for another season of football action at Royal Farms Arena. Tickets start as low as $14, and they're available at BaltimoreBrigade.com or by calling 667-930-0200. Bring into savings on a new car at Jerry's Toyota, Jerry's Chevrolet, and Jerry's Mitsubishi. Save a lot of money at Jerry's with free financing on over 800 new cars and trucks in stock. Jerry's has incredible springtime deals, like monthly payments as low as $129 a month on new Toyota RAV4s 
Camrys, and Chevy Malibus and Cruises. Looking for a new SUV with third row seating? Well, Jerry's has a great selection of models, including Toyota Highlanders, Chevy Traverses, and the Mitsubishi Outlander. If that's too much and you are shopping for a new crossover, Jerry's has great deals on new Toyota CHRs, Chevy Trax, and the all-new Mitsubishi Eclipse. Plus, right now at Jerry's, get huge savings on over 200 pre-owned cars, trucks, and SUVs. Do it. Visit Jerry's Toyota on Bel Air Road or Jerry's Chevrolet and Mitsubishi on Joppa Road and online at jerrysitsaboutyou.com. Special financing and lease payments with approved credit through dealer-designated lenders. Sale ends 4-30-18. Okay, so what do you get when you combine the Chick-fil-A Vanilla Ice Dream and their Simply Orange Juice? Well, introducing the all-new Frosted Sunrise from our friends at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square. It's perfect with breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Nothing refreshes like the Chick-fil-A Frosted Sunrise. And hey, if you prefer lemon, try the Frosted Lemonade. Don't forget to think about Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square as well. For all of your catering needs, graduation parties coming up, Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard in the Nottingham Square Shopping Center. Are you looking for a great deal? Maybe you need that perfect affordable outfit or clothes for growing kids. Or maybe you're looking for that hard-to-find collectible. Visit Goodwill today. Shop with a mission and find everyday low prices on thousands of items, including brand-name clothing, stylish accessories, shoes, and furniture. Come to Goodwill and see what you can find. When you shop at Goodwill, when you donate to Goodwill, you will help someone find a job. To find a store near you, visit givetogoodwill.org. Kyle, here's the thing. Since we're streaming live now every day at Facebook.com slash Sports, video-wise, I'm going to need you to step your game up when it comes to what you wear to work every day from 10 to noon. Uh, I hear you. I mean, I, I'm, they can't see my legs. I can still wear the chaps. Okay, that's fine. I just don't understand for me why they have to be assless chaps. I have the chaps that I have. Well, okay. And I have the toes that I have. This is what we do every day from 10 to noon. Glenn Clark, Kyle Ottenheimer for Glenn Clark Radio. I'm not sure that you'll learn anything. I'm not sure that you'll ever really be entertained. But afterwards, it's going to be a pleasant experience for all involved. How does that work? Yeah, don't worry about it. Glenn Clark Radio and Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. We are back on the bat around. Stan the Fan and my man Craig Heist. And we're here until noon today. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah. Good morning. Orioles get a big win, 7-4 to over the Boston Red Sox last night at Fenway Park. The two squads are due to go tonight at 7-10. Rich Dubroff, who's up there for PressBox, PressBoxOnline.com, says the weather is somewhat foreboding in Boston. But if they do play at 7-10 tonight, Dylan Bundy against Rick, Rick Porcello. Rick Porcello. Rick Porcello. Porcello. All right. Joining us now is somebody I've known a long, long time. I date back to this guy before he was on the personnel side of baseball, and that's the former farm director of the Cleveland Indians, former general manager of the Colorado Rockies, now a very trusted MLB analyst on TV, uh, not the TV game, studio analyst. That's Dan O'Dell. Dan, how are you? Good, guys. How are you? Uh, Good. We're both great. Uh, I guess that just dates dates ourselves when I say I've known you that long. <laughs> uh, yes, man, it's been a long time. It has been. It has been. First of all, let me ask you a question. You've been away from the Rockies for, what, two and a half seasons now, roughly? Going on three, correct. Going yep. on three. Are you enjoying life uh, outside of the, the meat grinder that is uh, being the, the, 
the VP, VP of baseball ops or GM, whatever you call it. Do you enjoy doing what you do? Oh, yeah. I mean, I love what I'm doing at the network. Anytime you get a chance to talk about the game of baseball, Stan is really a joy. But, you know, there's a part of me that certainly misses the team-building aspect of running an organization and the collective mindset that you try to create in overcoming, you know, obstacles, which are really opportunities. You know, I just think once you get that within your blood and you understand the feeling of that, you know, you're always going to miss that somewhat. But you have to balance that out as it relates to, you know, the opportunities that are presented and, you know, do you really have a realistic chance to be able to impact things the way you want to impact things. And after being in a position for 15 years, I, I felt this way, and Stan, I feel this way about all of these roles, is that uh, there's a shelf life, I think, in these particular roles. And, you know, mm-hmm. I felt certainly I was in a position where I, you know, I had... I had done everything I could do, then it was time for somebody else to take an opportunity and and run with it. You talk about uh, obstacles and how they are really opportunities or problems become opportunities. I'm not asking you to second-guess Dan Duquette or or the Orioles, but realistically, did you think that they were at least a 500-ball club or a game or two one way or the other, or did you think they were as bad as they are now, or did you think they were a 90-plus win team? No, I certainly didn't think they were a 90-plus win team. But, you know, they've done a really good job of trying to get the most out of whatever ability that they've had. It seems like the Orioles, the last few years, the sum of their parts are really greater than any individual part. But, Stan, I do know that this is a game of attrition. And I do think the Orioles' model was set up that a lot of things had to go right for them to be competitive. And in a game when you have just there's so much unpredictability tied to outcomes, you know, a lot of things had to go right for them because of their lack of impactful depth coming through their organization to consistently feed their major league club. And when you're constantly in a pattern of trying to patch, you know, that creates a recipe for disaster if some certain things just don't go right for you yeah. in the process. And, uh, you know, certainly this they just didn't get off to the kind of start they would have liked to. And if it's been a every aspect of their ball club has been affected by that. And that's just the nature of the game of baseball. Well, there's no question when you get off to the start that they did and you couple that with the fact that the, the Red Sox started, whatever, 17-2, and two, uh, that builds a, a, a pretty good a hole for you to have to have to dig out of. Dan, let me ask you this. If, all the years that you've worked, what's the one main thing that you do first in trying to put a ball club together or one that you think is, is modeled to be successful? Honestly, guys, it's, it, you know, to me, you know, it's funny. It's a very easy answer to your question. It's much more complicated to do. <laughs> if you look at the history of sport, and I'm not just talking about uh, baseball. I'm talking about any sport. It gets back to the quality and the consistency of your evaluations of player personnel and the process and system you have in place to be able to do that consistently. And number two, it gets back to your player development philosophy and your ability to take a player from point A to point B and make make every single one within your environment better than the way they were when they entered your environment. When you do that exceptionally well in any sport, mm-hmm. you are going to win and you'll consistently win. But it's not something that you can do even average anymore in the world of sport. You have to be great at it. And there's no and even in a market then that doesn't allow for a great margin of error, you even have to be more exceptional at it. And 
you know, I've been doing this a long time. You can patch for a period of years with free agent signings and trades, and you, know, you can do a lot of things that you do have to do well, but the core of it is if you don't have a steady talent flow coming through your organization of impactful players, contributing players, and value players, quite honestly, you're just never going to win at the major league level. And if you do, it's not sustainable in any way, shape, or form. Dan, along with that that idea, the model, and I know you've known Dan Duquette a long time, and I know you have a lot of respect for him. I, I think we know he's smart enough baseball guy to know that the Orioles are missing out on the international market. Um, but the club philosophy, which comes from ownership, um, it, 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 how big a hole does that dig for you when you can't play in that sandbox trying to bring some of this talent when you look at sort of the Cleveland Indians? I think they have nine scouts in Latin America, and the Orioles have two or three, I think. Well, Stan, I know that, uh, you know, we were able to convince our owner to actually build a brand-new academy in Boca Chica, and uh, that was our, you know, foothold, uh, we'd like to say, in Latin America. And everything that we did, we did out of there, from scouting to training and development, just not of our players on the field, but also of our staff. One of the most overlooked qualities uh, in development of a system, we talk about the players, but it's the impact of your staff that can have on your your process day in and day out, but they have to be taught. They have to be mm-hmm. taught your way consistently all the time. You know, the, the one area that I do agree with the Orioles on is that if you're going to dabble in Latin America, you might as well not be involved in it at all. You have to make a full board commitment to attack the country, and then it takes years to build an infrastructure of quality decision-making within your people. Um, and if they weren't going to invest that kind of that effort into it, which is both monetary and people, then it's best not to dabble in it at all because your rate of return on a little bit of money you would invest, you'd basically be better off applying those resources into another area. But to answer your uh, question, Stan, if you look at a a pie chart which represents 100% of your talent flow coming in the organization, you're basically taking 25 to 30% of that potential talent flow and you're completely eliminating. That puts so much pressure. Yep. And, and Dan, other areas where you go to access talent through your free agent draft and your professional trade and uh, free agent signings, um, your your rate of hit or return becomes almost unrealistic to be able to make those personnel decisions well on a consistent basis. And Dan, I cover two teams uh, within about 40 miles of each other. And it's amazing what Mike Rizzo and that staff has done in terms of scouting and developing and things of that nature compared to what's done up the road, and you can see where, where those discrepancies and those differences kind of lie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you can look at all 30 major league teams, and honestly, you can see the ones that are competitive year in and year out, and you can see the ones that aren't, even factoring in payroll discrepancies, which is obviously in our game always going to exist, mm-hmm. and then you really know the quality of the organizations that scout and develop well. So what if if the Orioles and we know that they're in a state of flux right now? If they were the new the new ownership uh, eyeballs on this thing, if they were to say tomorrow to Dan Duquette or whomever, "Hey, we we want to change that philosophy." How much money are you really talking about to really do it right uh, as an initial investment? Are you talking twenty to thirty million dollars 
Uh, oh, not even close, Dan. Okay. You know, you're you're first of all to throw that kind of money at a problem without having a specific plan in place again would be a recipe for a disaster, especially in Latin America. <laughs> when I when I threw that figure when I threw that figure Dan when I threw yeah, that figure you're probably out. talking an initial okay. investment of uh, max probably two and a half million dollars okay uh, one that's for a facility two that start to put together an organization that's that, three for your signing bonuses to begin with and again this is not going to be an overnight solution no it's going to take you probably five years to get up and running. Uh, in a complete full-board Latin American program where you're really competitively you know, beginning to establish yourself as a sig- significant player within that particular uh, market dynamic. So, you know, you're going to add money over a period of time, and your largest outlay of cash will eventually be when you find a place where you can hang your shingle mm-hmm. and build an Oriole complex so you can create an Oriole way, which you have to be able to do. Yep. Uh, I have some strong thoughts on that, too, as relates to things that I would do differently. You know, the beauty of, you know, not being involved on a day-to-day grind for the last two and a half years and doing what I've done is that I have such a broader perspective of things. You know, when you're running a club day in and day out, you're very myopic in your views because you're trying to survive day in and day out mm. of the grind of that job. And so, you know, there's a, for me, a more competitive way to even approach Latin America at this point in time with a heavy emphasis on education. Because a player has to be able to do three things exceptionally well in our business to be successful over a long period of time. Specifically in skilled positions like pitchers and catchers, you have to be able to process thought, problem solve, and creatively think. To do that, you know, your players have to have some basis of understanding of how to do that day in and day out. So if you look at the Dominican Republic, for an example, they spend the lowest amount of GNP, second only to Haiti in the world on their educational program. So you really have to fill that void for the player and his development as a person and a player. And uh, that's something that can be done so much better within our game. And I'm just going off on a tangent here. Right. Understanding the things that you really have to do well in Latin America to be able to create the kind of talent flow that can impact your major league club. Well, you answered my question perfectly because when I threw out that 25 to $30 million, I was thinking to build a, an actual facility academy that there was a lot greater expenditure. And it doesn't even take that over yeah. there to do that, Stan. Yeah. It, you, you probably can do that for a lot less than that. Okay. Um, and and just so our listeners and viewers on Facebook Live get, get the understanding, so that academy that you built down there in, in Latin America, the Lindor today, Ramirez today, and a couple others, they come, they're the fruits from that labor, aren't they? Well, for the Indians, you know, I didn't build that with the Indians. I built that with the Rockies. Okay. So, um, when you look at kids like uh, Cincitella, for an example, okay. and Estevez, who's now on the DL, um, you know, Baldo Jimenez, Franklin Morales, uh, you know, the Rogers kid. I can go on and on of players that came through the Rockies Academy. Um, when we started with the Indians, uh, Winston Yanis uh, ran our Latin American program, and we were one of the first clubs in Cleveland to become intricately involved in the Latin American program. So when you look at Jose Ramirez, for example, like Lindor was a, a kid that went to Monteverde High School down in Florida from okay. Puerto Rico. Um, but you look at kids like Ramirez and Santana and the kids that came through, that's a byproduct of the of the concept and that was developed with the Indians back in the mid-'90s. Yep. And to the fruits of that labor will extend long beyond the people that 
originated. So I started that academy back in the in the early 90s in uh, Cleveland, but still to this day, it's churning out impactful players at the big league level. That's the beauty of what that that program does to you. And to not have it at all yeah. is basically, you know, it's putting so much pressure on your decision-making in other areas that it's unrealistic. We're talking with Dan O'Dowd, former general manager of the Colorado Rockies. He's a one-time farm director of the Cleveland Indians, now a studio analyst for MLB uh, TV. Uh, Dan, I wanted to flip to another topic right now. I, I heard this stat a couple, 10 days ago or something, that April 2018 was the first month in the history of the game where there were more strikeouts in a month than base hits. Did I hear that correct? You did. Yeah. And and what well, does that say about where the game is going and where these strikeouts are coming from? Well, you know, the game's not headed in a good direction uh, because, guys, if, if you're fans, like I stand, I know you are of the game of baseball, you don't see athleticism on the field unless the ball is put into play. When you see the ball put into play, you see speed, you see defensive instincts, you see, you see things that, you know, are jaw-dropping. The less the ball is put in play, the more unattractive – our game becomes, and the longer uh, our game, you know, becomes because strikeouts usually are, you know, four or five, six pitch at bats, which are long at bats. So, you know, it's a real problem. But most ball clubs are constructed that way because there's a clear competitive advantage to the three, three true outcomes, which is walk, strikeouts, and home runs. I mean, you look at the Oriole Club and how that's been built over the last couple of years. I think it's almost, you know, an example of what we're trying to talk about. I think we've lost an entire generation that understands how to play the art of hitting, mm-hmm. leading off an inning. Um, you know, you realize the percentage of, of how much higher your percentage of score runs are when the, simply the leadoff man gets on. But when the leadoff man doesn't understand how to get on, he's not going to get on. <laughs> Scoring from runner from third base, moving a runner along, making what I call productive team outs on a consistent basis that puts your clubs in, in a position to win. You know, with the advent of uh, velocity and the short exposure of pitchers, the way that we have them in our game, hardly ever going through a lineup for the third time. Right. You know, we really have an issue within our industry of how to get guys to understand the art of hitting again. I think it has to start at a young level. And I do think the game may have to change a little bit at the major league level to be able to rectify the situation because this is a trend that we're not going to want to see moving forward over the next 10 years. I do think there's a competitive advantage in it. If you create mm-hmm. an organization that has a you know more of a balanced approach to hitting, where if you put together a lineup that's got certainly some guys that can hit the ball at the ballpark and with that strikeouts, but an also awful lot of guys too that can have productive outs and have quality barrel contact on a consistent basis. I think there's a huge competitive advantage for that in our game right now. How much of a issue is uh, along with the stat that Stan brought up, but how much of that has to do with? <clears throat> excuse me, the analytics that are going on right now. So many people are concerned about launch angle and how hard you're, how hard the ball yeah, comes angle, off the bat. Yeah, launch angle, exit velocity, yeah. spin rates. No, I think it has, I think the game of analytics has taken over to the point where it's unbalanced in our approach to the game. You know, I understand launch angle and I understand the value of it and I understand it really how it should be taught, but it should not be taught to everybody. And it's still a game about quality, hard, contact with tremendous backspin and that's not taught with launch angle and so i think the game of analytics has done so much benefit to the game but i also think it's hurt the game deeply too because there's a lack of balance of approach and how to look at analyze and teach the game on a consistent basis it's so many people craig 
are teaching the game, teaching long angle right now that simply don't even know how to do it. Right. Because there's certain kids that, you know, their skill set is if you try to get them to do that, you're going to lessen their ability to impact the game at the major league level. Heck, you're seeing it even at a youth level right now. And there's no longer, like, at our age when we grew up and played in any sense to form strikeouts, you just didn't want to strike out. It right. was not something you want to leave the game feeling good about. Right. You know, the body language on players in today's game, they could really care less if they strike out. I, love, I think that's a real issue within our game. I love him to death, but sometimes I could strangle Brian Kenny. <laughs> Just because. Well, yeah, I mean, Brian certainly led a re- revolution, and you can tell how sharp he is, but he even understands clearly, because Brian's a dear friend of mine, that this direction can't sustain itself. Yeah. The game's going to be heard over the long period of time. The commissioner's uh, thrown out. The, the notion of somehow limiting pitching changes, and it was done under the guise more about pace of play. Is the commissioner and the people uh, that run the game, are they really more talking about lessening relief pitchers coming into games because it's doing just what we're talking about? It's lessening the chances of balls being put into play? You know, Stan, I don't know the answer to that. Um, I would think it'd have to factor into their decision-making process, as that is a highly intellectual group up there. Yeah, I even I even consider guys, uh, and I know this is blasphemy, but everything we've done in our game is based upon run prevention. Everything we've come up with, you know, mm-hmm. what really upsets me is not the guy not shifting to see a guy hook a ball into the four hole and get thrown out. You know, mm-hmm. I don't have any sympathy for that guy at all. What I do have a problem with is when you see a line drive up the middle off the bat that has historically been a base hit without... Right. Because that's a quality at bat. That's a guy staying on a pitch and doing exactly what he should do with the pitch and seeing him get thrown out because the shortstop or second baseman is standing behind second base. And that I have a problem with. So do because you... Because you're not rewarding a guy for actually doing something mm-hmm. you know, that represents real quality. That I that I I wonder if we should begin to look at a little bit more closely. All right, it's very it's very interesting because you do wonder how we can get back to a game that is a little bit more enjoyable for people other than those that just no love doubt. strikeouts. You, know, you want to see Manny Machado make plays defensively. Yeah. You know, you just want to see you know, Adam Jones leave his feet in center field and make a spectacular play. And you know, honestly, when you don't see, you get a chance to see those guys do that, it, it makes our game more boring to watch. No question about it. No question about it. What has, what has surprised you so far this season, aside from the Orioles being 14-30? and 30, The Dodgers, where they are, does that surprise you? The Indians, where they are? And then we'll let you get out of here on this Saturday You know, morning. honestly, guys, nothing really surprises me ever within our game. But I, I will tell you that I'm not surprised by the Dodgers. Watching them in spring training on, I just felt like they weren't the same team a year ago, you know, they made a decision, and rightly so, probably, to get underneath the luxury right. tax because they were a third-time offender, and that's 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 fifty cents on the or sixty cents on the dollar. That wow. that gets to be a very expensive. But by doing that, they took away their greatest competitive advantage for me over the last three years. They were the deepest, most versatile, you know, forty-man roster within the in mm-hmm. the game, and they went into a season this year not more than twenty-eight to thirty deep. Right. And so what happens in our game, you have injuries to key players, and, and all of a sudden you're starting to play replacement level or below players at the major league level in, in important roles. Um, so I, 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 that didn't shock me as much. 
you know, the Indians lost, I think, a valuable player in Santana. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I thought there were question marks on their offense going into the season. I still think there are. But their bullpen is a concern for me at this point in time. They, uh, when you have your, when your bullpen blows up, which, by the way, you've really never seen in Baltimore. That's the one thing Buck has been right. phenomenal with. It is really difficult to rebuild your bullpen the way they're going to need to in the middle of the season. You have to either trade valuable assets short-term to do that, which kills you long-term, or you got to get lucky. And when you, when you bet on lady luck and your decision-making <laughs> and skill set um, involvement in a game, you know, that's a bad recipe in the long run, too. So they really have an issue with their bullpen. They're going to have to figure out. Same with the Dodgers. I am really surprised so far on the competitiveness of the National League as a whole, though. Uh-huh. The Phillies have taken a step. The Braves have taken a step. The Pirates have taken a big step this year. There's four teams in the Central Division that realistically could win it. I think the Western Division is the least competitive. Uh, a team out there may win it with 86 to 87, but there could be four teams that stay in it to win those kind of games all year long. So the National League by far is the bigger bunch you know, of the two leagues. Um, and, you know, the steps that the Phillies and Braves have taken so quickly has been a tad of a surprise for me. I got one last quickie for you. Uh, sure. I can't I can't remember where I read it, but the other day, I, I think it was on MLBTradeRumors.com, but there was sort of a, a story that quantified how this offseason is working out in terms of the one-year contracts. In other words, that, that the teams are getting a lot of value out of the one-year contract guys that they signed. Are the players in for a shock this off this next off season because it's going to be a big and expensive free agent class? Well, I think the players at the top of the market uh, are certainly such elite players are going to do very well. I don't see any changes in the rest of the market at all. I I believe the last uh, CBA negotiations um, that the ownership and the and the union partaked in. You know, I don't think in my mind there's any guys any sense of collusion going on in our game at all. I know there isn't. Personally, yeah. I don't think there is. But the collective mindset and, and thought process of how people make decisions now is real. Yeah. And there aren't any emotional buys in our game anymore. They're almost to the point of pragmatic buys. And that's going to lend itself that uh, players that are on the wrong side of the age aggression model in our game are simply not going to get paid like they've gotten paid in the past. You know, it's in- and I don't see that changing this winter whatsoever because what's happening, Stan, as you just said, now it's proven correctly that even you know a little bit of older players are going to perform better on short-term deals. Mm-hmm. So clubs are now getting, you know, what their thought process is not getting now getting verified in the actual performance on the field. That's going to cement that decision-making process even deeper. You know, it's really interesting, and then we will let you go. But but here in Baltimore, we're hyper focused on Chris Davis. But I look around, and there must be 15 to 18 teams that have a Chris Davis-type disaster contract on their hands. Yeah, everybody has one of those deals. And very rarely in our game anymore do you see clubs. And if the club doesn't have it, that means they figured out a way just to get rid of it, (laughs) like a Matt Kemp in Atlanta. You got it. And so everybody makes those decisions. I certainly made it in my tenure, too. And you learn from those decisions. You learn never to make them again. Um, and Chris Davis still can be a productive player. I don't know what's going on with him. Yep. Um, but certainly, you know, the key is when you sign those contracts, you have to have the payroll flexibility to say, if this thing blows up on us, we're still fine. 
If you can't answer that question, it's probably best served not to give those kind of contracts out. All right, Danny. Always a great time talking to you. Thank you for uh, spending some time with us. Yeah, guys, thank you. Thank you for the great questions. I love coming on your show because you guys ask such great, deep baseball questions. Even Craig Heiss Heiss asks good questions? Craig does, so you've taught him well, Stan. That that didn't come from him, trust me. But he teaches me pronunciation. All right, Danny O'Dowd, thank you very much, man. Really Thanks, always guys. enjoy Bye-bye. it. Have a great All right. day. Bye-bye. All right, there you have it. Saturday, uh, uh, the 19th of May, we're a few hours away from the Preakness. By the way, Craig, before we take this break, and then we got to run to Dave Shining, uh, the Caps. Caps got off to that great start in this series, built on the momentum of mm-hmm. having beaten Pittsburgh. Now it's squared up. And they go back to Tampa tonight, right? Tonight, 7-15. What do you think we got in store for us? Well, they're 7-1 on the road, so we'll see what happens. All right. All right. We're going to be back with Dave Shinen of the Washington Post. That's next up. Got to tell you about Ken Island's Original Sports Bar, located at 216 St. Clair Place in Stevensville, Maryland. That's Big Bats Cafe. On the way down, we're back from the eastern shore. There's no place better to stop, relax, and eat. Great place to watch the O's, Nats, Wizards, or like tonight, the Caps game, and sample the best bar grub around. Sandwiches, salads, soups, and subs in a baseball heaven in terms of how it's uh, um, you know, laid designed out. and laid out and everything featured there. Big Batch Cafe, Ken Island's original sports bar. What could be better than a night out at the ballpark with the Aberdeen Ironbirds? How about five nights at the ballpark to five sold-out weekend games? With the Ironbirds' best ticket plan, you'll get to see fireworks, a national entertainment act, or a special guest appearance every game, while reaping the rewards of a season seat member like a unique giveaway and a priority access to playoff tickets and special events all for just $50 a seat. For more information, go to ironbirdsbaseball.com or call 410-297-929. That's 410-297-9292. You and your family don't want to miss out on the Iron Bird's best ticket plan ever. Okay, so what do you get when you combine the Chick-fil-A Vanilla Ice Dream and their Simply Orange Juice? Well, introducing the all-new Frosted Sunrise from our friends at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square. It's perfect with breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Nothing refreshes like the Chick-fil-A Frosted Sunrise. And hey, if you prefer lemon, try the Frosted Lemonade. Don't forget to think about Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square as well. For all of your catering needs, graduation parties coming up, Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard in the Nottingham Square Shopping Center. Get Memorial Day savings right now on over 1,300 new and used Toyotas, Chevys, SUVs, trucks, cars, minivans, etc. at Jerry's Auto Group. Up to $11,000 off every vehicle in stock and plenty with financing as low as 0%. Have you been putting off getting a new or gently used vehicle? Well, it's May and no better time to go test drive one than now. So head over to Jerry's Toyota on Bel Air Road and Jerry's Chevrolet and Mitsubishi on Joppa Road and online at jerrysitsaboutyou.com. Special financing with approved credit. Savings Vary by model. Sale ends May 31st. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values. Earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. 
And now in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. KZ, Sari, the NFL chick, KO from the Pressbox Fantasy and Reality Football Show. You can hear it by going to PressBoxOnline.com slash fantasy every Sunday morning from 10 a.m. to noon. And you can also check us out on Facebook.com slash Sports. We talk about college football. We talk about the NFL. We talk about the fantasy aspect. We talk about the reality aspect. And we talk about soccer. The, the other type of football. No. No, we don't. We don't? No. Never? No. Yeah, not really. Tennis? No. Nope. Rugby? Nope. No? Just no, football. Just NFL football. football. College football. College football. Every Sunday morning, 10 a.m. to noon, Press Box Fantasy and Reality Football Show. We are back on the bat around. 11-11 is the time. Uh, joining us now on the bat around, Stan the Fan and Craig Heist, is Dave Shinen of the Washington Post. Always a fantastic baseball writer, whether it was covering the O's or being a national beat writer for the Washington Post. He joins us now. Dave Shinen, how are you? Hey, I'm good. How are you? Uh, we're, we're very fine here. We're very fine. Not just talking baseball, not just talking about writing for the Washington Post. But this is a man of many talents. This is a man of musical talent. Uh, opera singer extraordinaire. Opera singer, exactly. All right. How's the new venture going real quick? Uh, pretty good, yeah. I put out a record in uh, March called First Thing Tomorrow. Um, it's, uh, it's doing great. You know, It's been uh, re- reviewed a couple of times, got some really positive reviews. It got played on WTMD in Baltimore for about a month. Um, and uh, got a lot of good feedback from that. Um, I didn't know yeah, about this. Just, I didn't know about this at all. What kind of song is it? Uh, no, 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 it's a it's a ten song record. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, they they're all originals. I wrote them all. I got some really talented friends of mine to play on it with me and produce. Um, there, it sounds kind of uh, power pop, kind of uh, rock and roll straight ahead. It's got a lot of piano in it, of course, because that's what I play. Um, but yeah, it's very it's very almost classic pop it's got a lot of you know people have described it as beatlesque and it's got a lot of classic pop turtle zombies kinks kind of sound to it and then a lot of people have also compared it to like matthew sweet and some you know 1990s power pop so it's uh it's very melodic and tuneful and hopefully you know sticks in your in your ears for a while are they all they're they're, they're all songs they're not instrumentals right no they're all they all have lyrics yeah they um, yeah, and you know, a couple songs are about Baltimore specifically. Um, you know, there's a couple of sort of you know love songs. A couple of uh, I don't know. It's just uh, yeah, man. It's just uh, it's just rock and roll. It's, it's great. Now, now is a record people will dig it. Is a record like that protected by? In other words, like if we wanted to use little ins and outs of it, would we be allowed to, or is that going to shut us down when you no, live stream? No, I, 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 no, it's nothing like that. I, I, I mean, I right here, right now, I give you permission to use it. All right. Now, where can <laughs> I where can want. I find the CD? Anywhere you can get it. Anywhere um, um, you can get it on Amazon, All iTunes. Right. You can stream it on Spotify. You can. Uh, the best place for me for you to get it is on my Bandcamp page, which is DaveShineandDocBandcamp.com. Um, so that's you know that's that's the most artist friendly site. Dave Shinen. Dot Bandcamp. Fan camp. No. 
Bandcamp. 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 Yeah. Band All right. I have mm-hmm. bad hearing. I, have bad I gotta hearing. tell you something. One of the be- one of the best nights I ever spent with you. And the group was when we all crashed the NBA Finals party up in Philadelphia when the Orioles were up there for an interleague series, and and you oh, were, yeah. and you were behind the piano at the hotel, and you did uh, the OJ's Love Train for Michael Wilbon. It was great. <laughs> I'm looking. Yeah, for, I remember that. Yeah, Wilbon was there for some reason for some NFL thing or something. Yeah. It just happened to be. Yeah. I'm looking forward to uh, hearing some of that. Hey, um, yeah, we man. wanted to have you on to talk about what I find is a fascinating topic i knew about this eight nine years ago my brother mentioned that you know there are rumors that jim palmer is could be john f kennedy's you know uh, illegitimate son he was adopted all the timing worked out how did this story come to you um yeah when i was on the the orioles beat you know back in uh i started in 99 right um you know, I'd I'd hang out a little bit with Palmer on the road. We'd go to dinner or something, and you know, they were, he 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 dropped some of this adoption story on me, uh-huh. and and mentioned the fact that an uncle who picked him up as a baby uh, from the hospital when Palmer was like two days old uh, mentioned to him many years later that that he saw the name Kennedy on you know either a birth certificate or on the crib or something right, like that, and, right. and of course, you know, at that point, my interest is really uh, peaked. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you know, I, I dug into the story. This was probably like 15 years ago. Right. Um, I started digging into the story, trying to find the the birth certificate, the adoption records, all this stuff. And at that time, in the days before DNA testing, you know, you had to go through the bureaucracy. And I just, I, I lost the trail. I mm-hmm. mean, I just, you know, I, I kept running into roadblocks. Uh, Jim was helping. I mean, he was he would sign documents and notarize and you know giving me permission to do this and that. But but I just couldn't locate the birth certificate and all that stuff. Anyway, fast forward, you know, to this past fall, his wife Susan, you know, she had all my old um, reporting. You know, she had all the documents I had uncovered and stuff like that. So there was a a little bit of a head start, but she uh, decided to to dive into it full speed. And this is last fall, and and she started making progress with the DNA testing. She got Palmer to, you know, spit into the tube and mm-hmm. do the DNA testing, and started finding matches online. And you know, one thing led to another, and and by you know by January, February, she had lo- she had uncovered you know the birth mother and the birth father, and they were keeping me abreast of the whole time because I told her I want to write this. Yeah. Um. And uh. And yeah. Sure enough, you know, in in March, I went down for spring training with the Nationals and. West Palm Beach and 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 went and, and hung out with the Palmers for a, a day to go through all this stuff that she had found and and uh, wrote the story uh, finally a couple weeks ago. It's really a remarkable story, and the the truth comes out that uh, that was a fairly common name around that time, and right. uh, there might be might have been some Irish lineage, uh, and they put Baby Kennedy on the crib or something like that. But uh, yeah, it turned out to obviously have no connection to the Kennedys. But yeah, the the birth mother was you know unmarried, thirty seven, thirty eight year old uh, maid basically in Manhattan for a wealthy family, and and got pregnant, gave the baby up for adoption, and kind of. And put down the name of a of a of a brother-in-law of hers, which was Kennedy, um, and you know just just to sort of like hide it, I guess, hide the birth and all that stuff. Um, and that you know, so there was no Kennedy connection of, of the it's, Kennedys. So, what's it, what's, I mean, that was a bit of a disappointment, but, yeah. but really, the story is still a 72-year-old Hall of Fame pitcher. You know, finally, after all these years 
finding out who his birth parents were. And not only that, but like turn, going from like completely uninvested, you know, and not really caring at all what, you know, his wife was doing with the search. And then all of a sudden turning into like, you know, I mean, the most invested you could possibly be. I mean, he's out there calling people and, and he's, and he's, so met, and he's met several of these relatives now, hasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's met them. He's you know had lunch with them. He's tweeted about it. He's he's like really really into it now, which is kind of cool to see. You know, some of the suppositions we made about it though are it's it's interesting when people put kids up for adoption, uh, even though they're not going to have the joy of bringing up that child, they they like to ensure that the kid is going to be in good hands. And that was the thought. If the Kennedys had a, had a kid, they would have wanted it to go to a wealthy family. And uh, mm-hmm. as it mm-hmm. played out, this this maid was able to have her son adopted by a wealthy family. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, I mean, Jim, you know, lived a life of privilege as, as a young man. And, of course, obviously after his fame and fortune as a baseball player all, all his life. So, um, yeah, it, it is uh, somewhat ironic. I mean, that, that she was poor and a maid, and yep. um, you know, and 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 her baby turned into this Hall of Fame pitcher. And for all for all we know, um, she never knew it. You know, yeah, she never, you know, she never knew the identity of. She she may have gone to a game at Yankee Stadium at some point and watched Jim Palmer pitch, right? And not had no idea that that was her son. But yeah, I mean. It's, it's, a, it's a wild, wild story. Dave, Stan and I were talking earlier this morning about when Stan talked to Jim about this um, up in the press lounge, you know, years ago. And and mm-hmm. Palmer's basic uh, notion was, eh, it doesn't worry me. I don't care yeah, about it that much. You know, how much do you think in, in talking to Jim and, and working on this project, how much of it do you think that as Jim's gotten older, that it was more important for him to find out? You know, I, I I think that even as far back as October, when Susan, his wife, started on this, he was very dismissive. He was just, you know, yeah, I don't yeah. really, I, I, this uh, this doesn't interest me. I, I don't feel cheated in any way by by circumstances. I loved the parents who raised me. Mm-hmm. Those are my real parents. I, I have no burning desire to find out anything about my birth parents. Um, and that held true all the way, you know, for 72 years. Um, but I think once he started getting a taste of it, mm-hmm. and I think once he started seeing a picture of his birth mother um, and, and his father, you know, I, I think, I, I, guess, I guess something kicked in. Yeah. And I think it surprised him even because, um, mm-hmm. you know, I think the quote in the story was when, when Susan started on this project, like back in October, Jim told her, okay, just bottom line me at the end. That's right. Uh, right. Know, do right. what you got to do, but, but uh, yeah, I'm not involved. Just bottom line me at the end. I, I think something about this that's fascinated me is I think Jim probably got more attached to the story when he found out he wasn't a Kennedy and then he didn't ha- and he didn't have to kind of, start answering this barrage of questions about that, this became more just normal, you know, a normal adoptee, you know. Yeah, I think that that could be the case. In fact, I mean, he, you know, he he, he kind of, I think he almost like takes a little bit of pride in, in coming from um, such humble mm-hmm. origins, you know, because all his life he's had to sort of, you know, carry around this, this privilege that, that he had from, from you know the 
day he was two days old and got adopted by a wealthy family in Manhattan. Um, all his life he's been, you know, privileged. And I think that there was maybe a part of him that was uh, almost like proud of, um, you know, the fact that, that his, his actual origins were about as humble as could be. Hey, we were about five minutes late getting to you, so we're going to cut this short in a minute. But I did yep. have to ask you, Jim Palmer, the name Jim Palmer has always been just such a beautiful name off the tongue, the way his wind-up was. I forget mm. the name. His his real adopt, first adoptive father was a Jewish mm-hmm. gentleman in New York in the garment business, women's Correct. dresses. That last name was something far different. I forget what it is. Yeah, it was Weezen. Weezen. So Jim Weezen. It just sounds yeah, so was, different. Yeah. Jim yeah, Palmer. He was Jim Weezen until about age 11. And uh, Mo Weezen, his adopted father, died. And right. his mother remarried a man named Max Palmer, who was an actor in Hollywood. That's just. And uh, yeah. Jim loved him and, and decided yeah. to change his name to Palmer at age 11. That's Jim, Jim Weezen was DFA'd, though. Right. <laughs> Hey, Dave, we really appreciate your coming on to talk about this, and I'm going to search out the record, all right? Yeah, do that. Yeah, let me know what you think. All right, bud. Great talking to you. All All right. We are going to make our next – we don't need a break right now. We're just going to call Mike Shallon and grab him, and then we'll take the break. We only need a break after Rafael Palmero. Wow, we, so we took can go two right breaks. From, we can from go one to the other. We can go one one to the other. That is really an interesting story. It's an interesting story, story and you know, I'm I'm glad he was able to do the research and work with Jim on it and get that story out there. You know, the thing is John F. Kennedy was a handsome guy. His his son, John John, you know, who died in that tragic plane crash, was a gorgeous guy. Jim Palmer was a fantastic looking guy. And the age always made it it was just close enough where you could have thought that there was something to it. Well, I know one thing. At age 72, we should all hope to look that good. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, somebody that looks pretty good uh, to me anytime he's on the phone with us is Mike Shallon from Boston, uh, columnist for the New Hampshire Union Leader and also an official scorer at Fenway Park. Uh, how are you, Mr. Shallon? Well, let's just put it this way. I, I always look good on radio. That's it. There you go. You've got a face. I, people have said that about me for years. I've got uh-huh. a face for. Were, were you well, scoring? Is, were you scoring the game last night? No, I was not. Okay, thank goodness because I have Xander Bogarts on my uh, fantasy team. That was a yeah. double. That was a very <laughs> difficult play by Dre <laughs> Man. So, it's all about him, Mike. Yeah, it is. That's it. Yeah, that's it. We get a, we get a lot of that. You yeah. Know? I mean, uh, and you, uh, you know, in fact, we we have. Uh, we had a conference call uh, not long ago, right after this um, uh, gambling story emerged, and we had a conference call instructing us on what to do if anybody came to us and, you know, anybody who's not affiliated with a club came to us and asked us about decisions uh, if, we, if we thought it sounded strange. So, uh, you mean like yet- if I came up to you in the Fenway Park press box and had said, shouldn't that have been a hit by Bogart's? You would have had to report that? Well, I think Robert Mueller would have been after you about the, ne- the next morning. All right. Yeah. I got you. I got you. <laughs> well, hell, that could have taken a year and a half. What the hell? <laughs> no, this one would have been easy because of Stan's background. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. 
There's no collusion with Mike Shallon, I'll tell you that. <laughs> hey, uh, Mike, you've gotten to watch uh, 45 Boston Red Sox games. Maybe you haven't watched every second of them, uh, of mm-hmm. every game. But uh, I hate that. By the way, I hate that number 45, but go on. All right. T- tell me a little bit about uh, Alex Cora, what, what you see, uh, the stealing of five bases the other night. That's not something that would have taken place under Terry Francona. Wouldn't it take place under John Farrell, would it? Well, when did they steal five bases? Uh, Thursday night. Thursday night's game, yeah, against Kevin Gosman. I think I thought it was three. I've been it... reading five, and I was the scorer that night, and I only remember three. All right, then uh, and, maybe and they I'm... all they all resulted from him not looking at the runner and then throwing over the first base. Actually, it's though, actually, though, I looked at the the box score and I thought Betts stole three. Somebody else stole one, and now you mention it. I think it was four stolen bases. No, I thought Bet stole two. Bet Bet stole his first one when when Gosman wound up throwing to the plate, and there could be no throw. Okay, um, I've got the score sheet right here. That's right. If he wait a minute, if a runner if a runner runs when he throws the ball to first base, he still gets a stolen base, doesn't he? Yes, he does. Okay. Yes, he does. And, there, and, and Mookie had two. Uh, Mookie had one where he threw home, one where he threw to first. Okay. And Bradley had the one where he threw to first. And I don't know where this. Okay, where five where is five coming up from. with. All right. Okay. Uh, but anyway, three bases. Uh, clearly, they yeah. picked up something on Gosman. Is there more attention to trying to be a little bit more proactive on the base paths? You know, they got thrown out a lot on the bases last year. They've been getting thrown out on the bases a lot this year. Really? Okay. Um, you know, was it that game where Ben Attendee rounded third and and, um, and got tagged out? I'm not it, sure. I was... on, an, on, an in, on an infield hit. Was it that game or Oakland? I'm trying to remember. But there I, was, think was there was, I think it was Oakland. I think it was Oakland. Yeah, there was first and second. and Yeah, first and second in the first inning. And Bogarts hit a, a slow roll off the third baseline, and um, uh, Chapman came in. Chapman has a, is a little bit of an adventure in the field. Uh-huh. He came in, he came in, but had the presence of mind to turn around as Ben Attendee rounded third by about ten feet and was tagged out. So it's kind of a running gag in the press box in Fenway a little bit that uh, yeah they might be more aggressive, but they aren't. They are much better at it. Okay, <laughs> all right. Uh, I haven't been I haven't been impressed with his in-game moves. Uh, to me, uh, American League managers could really only screw up because there's so little strategy involved. But there have been some there have been some things that I've questioned uh, going in. And then he then there was the game early in the year where he admitted he forgot to put a defensive replacement in for JD, um, uh, which is which is good on his part because going back to the Joe Morgan days. He got a he got an extra line of you know rope from the media because he was honest with us about things. Right. You know, instead of just pretending it didn't happen. Mistake, yeah. Instead of turning it into the CIA and hiding it, you know. But um, he's learning. You know, it, it is a big difference between being that guy and being the bench coach. And um, you know, and I was just start, uh, I'm doing a, a baseball kind of a notes and quotes column for tomorrow, and you know they have. Two of the front runners for the MVP award in in uh, Mookie and and Martinez. They have the uh, one of the only pitchers not on the Astros who's a Cy Young candidate in Sale. Uh, Kimball's been pretty pretty darn good. Bogarts is hitting for more power than ever. They're healthy except for Pedroia, 
and they're 13 and 13 in the last, you know, since starting the season 17 and two. So something, something's missing. And, um, you know, I don't blame the manager for being 13 and 13, just as I didn't credit, credit him for being 17 and two. Well, as Craig said at the beginning, it's all about my fantasy team. Uh, mm-hmm. I drafted uh, in my ultra, I drafted Stephen Wright. And then can I, who, say, can, can I say this before you finish? Yes, yes. I don't. I don't care. I understand that, but I'm the thank, reason I'm thank explaining. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate the, no, the that. reason I'm explaining this to you is because I knew he had that 15 day uh, suspension looming, uh-huh. but I did not know that he was going to go on the DL because we drafted before the season started. So right. I got impatient. He looked pretty good last night. Yes, he did, and he, and and I'm sure there are visions. So I don't have him anymore. That's why I said it's oh, about okay. me. Well, I let sure, him go. Yeah, I'm sure there are people who think he should take Pomerantz's place in the rotation, but Pomerantz deserves a little bit more time to uh, you know shake off the cobwebs. He, mm-hmm. he like Cobb, he didn't have much of a spring training, and he won 17 games last year. So I think they're going to keep using Wright the way they're using him now. And mm-hmm. uh, he did pitch pretty well, kept him in the game, really, yeah. if you think about it. Yeah, and the only mistake he made was the scope home run, and that's just a knuckler that kind of got to the inner half of the plate, and Jonathan was able to turn on it. Let me ask mm-hmm. you this. Let me ask you this about this team. And as you said, 13-13 and 13 since the since the 17-2 and two start. When you look at, on the surface, what the Yankees have, what the Red Sox have, uh, which team do you would you favor to win this division right now? And I know we're only into May. Yeah, I, you know, I think the Yankees probably they probably need a starting pitcher, mm-hmm. um, but their lineup is just so scary, you know. And and when you think about the fact that that Stanton has had his normal slow start, there was a there was a visual on MLB Network the other day that his numbers on May 13th last year and May 13th this year are almost exactly the same. Uh, which means you would think that better stuff is coming from him in the mm-hmm. warm weather. Uh, they're going to get Bird back for how long? Who knows? Because he's injury prone. But you, you put Bird in the middle of that lineup. Uh, that's a, to me, that's a scarier lineup than the, than the Red Sox. But you know, when you got when you got Mookie and you got JD Martinez um, adapting to the big pressure cooker of, of Boston the way he has. Uh, they're clearly, you know, to me, it's it's those two in Houston. Um, you know, you get, you got to always factor Cleveland in because of the pitching, the starting pitching, I should say. But um, they, uh, I think the Yankees are the better team, but the better team doesn't doesn't always win. Again, they both have rookie managers, so it's going to be interesting to see how they deal with July and August, getting their teams through. Uh, be interesting to see how the Yankees do. After this ridiculous week they had in your area, yeah, uh, and then you know responding with a loss last night in Kansas City, I don't know how what how what the connection is there, but there might be. Uh, it, you know, it's such a it's such a long race. You know, when when the Red Sox were seventeen and two, the Yankees were nine and nine, mm-hmm. and then the Yankees won seventeen and two, <laughs> and then right. you know, you know, Didi Gregorius was the Player of the Month. Batting three seventy two, he's down at two forty eight now. Right, he's he's yeah. on a one for forty five, I think, something yeah. like that. Yeah, and and driving himself crazy, and, and you know uh, he's he's a leader on that team, you know. But if he if this keeps going, it's going to fuel the uh, Manny Machado to the Yankees early. Uh, <laughs> <story>. <laughs> hey, um, I'm just curious. 
Yankee fans and Red Sox fans, uh, they've won, what, like four of the last 10 or 11 World Series between them, mm-hmm. but they, they haven't been great at the same time. Is this going to fan the, the fumes of this uh, tremendous rivalry where the fans are going to be back at a fever pitch because neither team has been quite that passionate, especially mm-hmm. on the road, their fans? It just seems like this this year's got a chance to redo that. Well, there's only been one one brawl in six games, so they've got a, they got a while to go before they get back to the job at Chamberlain stuff. Right? But, uh, uh, yeah, I mean it's you know, and the rest of the country is going to go. Oh, we got to watch them on TV again. Even though to me it seems like the Cardinals and Cubs are on more than they are. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, I think it's it's. It's great for the sport when they're both good at the same time, and it, unfortunately, it, it hasn't happened that much. But it did happen in the early 2000s, and and uh, uh, the games are good. You know, let's yeah. let's let's call it what it is. The games are very good. They're very entertaining. Yeah, they take a little bit longer, but they're very entertaining baseball games. Hey, uh, David Price, this uh, mm-hmm. this diagnosis that came out about him having carpal tunnel, uh, mm-hmm. the carpal tunnel syndrome. I have never heard a baseball player diagnosed with that before. Do they think this is something that he can manage through his pitching career, or will he need surgery to really address this during the offseason? I don't know. It's mild. You know, the the, the thing that scares me with this is people have been ridiculing uh, Price for this, kind of making fun of him. He's soft. He's this. He's that. Mm -hmm. Then why can he come out and pitch? The yeah, way the, the way the they, they the way they did with J.R. Richard. Exactly. I yeah. was just going to bring J.R. back yep. 30, 37 years ago, and and you know the, the man, you know they they said, oh, "Look at him. He's out there throwing a hundred miles an hour and eating fried chicken in the clubhouse after the game." And, you know he's 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 making this stuff up, and the man had a stroke. Right. Uh, David Cohn David Cohn had a problem with numbness in his fingers. He wound up having a uh, uh, an embolism, whatever it was right. that they that they had to remove. So. I always, since Jr. I, I always say, you know, let's listen. Let's listen to the guy, you yeah. know. And um, you know, Price is it, Price is under a a ton of pressure in Boston. Number one, he's not Chris Sale um, right. because primarily because because of the contract situation. And number two, he's in that opt out situation where he has if he walks away from the Red Sox, he's going to leave 150 million dollars on the table. Right now, does it reach the point where he gets miserable enough to where he he's he's willing to take less money. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, but the fact of the matter is that he's pitched very well. Uh, he looked great the other night. There's no question about it. And even that, there were people on talk radio here ripping him. Now, get this: I heard this last night. Right. That that the minute he came across the only hitter in the Baltimore lineup, he gave up. He, he choked and gave up a home run of the right there. <laughs> And I'm like, wait a minute, the only hitter in the Baltimore lineup, the only thing Baltimore has is a lineup. Right, right. <laughs> you know, and, and it just, it's just like, it's just like when the story broke that, um, that Cora said he didn't think the um, carpal tunnel was necessarily connected to the video game thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm listening to radio and, and I'm listening, I'm watching, I'm watching the game of the week or whatever and they're saying. Uh, manager Alex Cora came out and said that it's, Directly connected to the couple to the uh, video game. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's not what it was. That's not what right. he said. That's not what he said. <laughs> it's interesting you bring him up because, uh, and the situation because down in Washington, 
They're going through the kind of a little bit of the same thing with Sean Kelly. Here's a guy that's had two Tommy Johns, and mm-hmm. and each time in the last two years, he's had that experience that has put him on the DL both times right. with the numbness in the fingers and he can't feel anything in certain parts of his arm. And I mean, I'm, I'm with you on this one, Mike, you, you just gotta, you know, give it time, listen to the professionals, listen to the doctors and, and get off the guy's back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's basically it. Pete, you know, we love to, um, we love to, uh, minimize some of these athletes because we all think we can do what they do. Yeah. And, which is why, which is another reason why, for some reason, fans have always sided with owners when it comes to contracts and mm-hmm. stuff, which I never understood. Uh, billionaire owners, you know, but it's listen. It's the nature. It's the nature of the beast. And and David, David picked the fight with with a local hero and Dennis Eckersley last year. Yeah. And if he, you know, and he, and he hasn't won in the postseason uh, as a starter, but you know, I mean, the guy is a pretty damn good pitcher. You know, yeah. and, and I would uh, I would think if I'm a Red Sox fan, I'm th- sitting back on if he could be David Rice, uh, David Price during the regular season. Let's let's take our chances with him in the postseason and see if his fortune suddenly turn around. Hey, Craig has worked out. We're going to have Rafael Palmero on, who is trying a comeback at the age of 53 mm-hmm. years of age with the Cleburne uh, Railroaders. He's playing with his son down there. Patrick. Patrick. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to let you get back to the royal wedding. Uh, I know <laughs> yeah. you've been watching that all morning long, but I do have one hockey question for you. Uh, sure. I know you're a big Bruins guy. Uh, Tampa handled them pretty easily and then walked into a – a buzzsaw in the Capitals who won the first two games in Tampa. Now Tampa's come back and won the last two. How do you think the, the remainder of the series plays out? Well, i got to be honest. I've been, I've been actually rooting for Ovechkin through this whole thing. Yeah, um, thank you. I think, he, I think he has consciously tried to turn his career around, which is, which is odd to say about a 50-goal scorer. who's yeah. one of the best scorers in the history of the game. But he used to be very lazy. He used to be very self-centered. Um, and he has completely turned his game around, and I'm glad that he's in the conference final. Uh, I and listen. If if you got a way to handicap the rest of the yeah. series, that, that that's great because nothing's followed form so far. Uh, just as the 500 to one Vegas Golden Knights have have, uh, yeah. have uh, you know completely turned right. the hockey world upside down. Um, you know, it's it's a very it's a very difficult. You, know, you look at the NBA, and it's pretty clear who the best teams are. Yeah. You know, and and. And, you know, the NBA has far fewer playoff upsets than the NHL does. What was it, Edmonton, the year that they were eighth? Nashville was eighth. Yeah. I think Nashville was the last team to make the playoffs last year and went to the finals. So, um, very, very complicated. If I, you know, again, I'm rooting for Ovechkin. All but, right. Uh, I, got, I got five ex-New York Rangers on the Tampa Bay, so, <laughs> so my heart's a little bit there, too. All right. Mike Shallon, always a pleasure to talk to you. Stay well. Get back to that royal wedding. How do you like my little hat with the flowers? I think it's gorgeous. I think it's gorgeous. All right, buddy. I'll talk to you later. There he goes, Mike Challen. It's interesting, though, because as I told you before, the Caps are 7-1 and in the playoffs on the road. And if you look at the league overall, Mm -hmm. as far as home teams in the playoffs, you're looking at something like 20-31 and overall. 
where the home teams are that far under 500 right, at home. Right, that's pretty amazing. It's crazy. It, it absolutely really is. is crazy. It really is crazy. Hey, we're making our connection now with Rafael Palmaro. I wanted to mention the Polish Spring Festival is today from 12 to 10 p.m. And Sunday, tomorrow from 12 p.m. to 5 p.m., it's hosted by the Holy Rosary Church at 408 South Chester Street in Baltimore, Maryland. All the profits will benefit the Raise the Roof campaign. All right. Our special guest uh, in Texas right now is a former Oriole and former Texas Ranger, Raphael Palmero. Rafi, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm good. I'm good. How are you guys doing? It's good. So this is the first time in how many years you've been able to say I'm either sore or not sore after a game. <laughs> how are you this morning? I'm pretty good, actually. I feel pretty good. Um you know, we do have a turf field, so it's a little bit hard on the on the knees. But um, you know, my teammates that are half my age are complaining about it, so um, I'm not going to worry about it too much. But uh, I feel great. I feel great, actually. So you see, you were right all those years that playing on that turf is a pain in the butt. <laughs> it is. It's it's tough. You know, I would I would much rather play on uh, on a grass field. Rafi, Rafi, let me ask you this: uh, you you've been gone from the game twelve years. Uh, your sons have been playing. Patrick is now with you uh, down there uh, in, in Cleburne with, with the Railroaders. Uh, we've had Preston on this show a couple of different times in the last two years, and and his career with the Orioles uh, in A-ball is, is gone off, to, I think, to a pretty good start. What made you decide that this is something you wanted to do after 12 years away from the game? You know, I, nothing specifically, really. I just, uh, you know, I've been I've been involved with their careers, and I've been involved with uh, workouts um, with them. You know, uh, swinging the bat with them, uh, hitting them ground balls, fly balls, throwing batting practice. Um, you know, I took batting practice with them throughout the years. So it just came to me one one night this off season. I don't know if we were talking about baseball. It was, I think, during the uh, the winter meetings. And uh, I just thought, you know, I, I think I can do this. I, you know, I've been working out. I've been, you know, I feel like I'm in pretty good shape. And I thought, you know, I, I think I can do this. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to give it a try. And I just, uh, I didn't look back and uh, started calling around. And really the only, the only serious team was the, uh, the railroaders down there in Cleveland. Now, now you tried to get somebody to give you a, a minor league de- or a, you know a, a non spring training spring invite. training invite. Yes. Uh, was that just the Orioles and the Rangers, or were there other teams involved? No, I didn't really call um, any other teams because I just you know just knowing the two organizations and um, I really wanted to do it here in Texas because it's just you know here in my home it's uh, um, you know I didn't really want to. It, my option was to do it here. Obviously, if someone else would have given me an opportunity, I would have I would have left. But I I really wanted to do it here. And then I uh, talked with the Orioles a little bit, and um, they were kind of sort of interested in the beginning a, a little bit. You know, if they were intrigued about it, but they never did. You know, jump on it. And then the Rangers just was, were never. They were just never interested. You know, they had they have some young players uh, that were ready or in the wings there to, to come up. And actually they are up here now because they've had so many injuries. So I just, it wasn't a good fit. So, well, uh, 
you know, it, it didn't work out. I always think of the the line my mother used to always say, and of course, everybody's mother tells him this. It's just like riding a bike. Once you do it, you get back on it, you can do it again. And from watching all the video I saw of you in the batting cages and things of that nature, and uh, certainly talking to Preston up here, you know, he said there's no question about it. In his mind, you can do this, and, and you know, the swing is always there, and you look just as good as you ever did swinging a bat. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like you said, it's, it's like riding a bike. You never forget how to do it. You know, the only thing is, is that instead of going, you know, 30 miles an hour down the road, you're going 20. So <laughs> I... It's, uh, you used to have a, a you used to have a Porsche as a body. Now you got a VW. Yeah. You know. Well, actually, I actually body wise, my body is is better shape. Okay. Believe it or not, uh, because I I have you know I'm uh, doing a better diet. Okay. And I'm actually really working out seriously now. During my career, I didn't I didn't take the working out part of it and the running and the, the cardio part of it. I didn't take it seriously. I I just focused more on. The, you know the skills part of the game you know the hitting and the fielding and that part of it and didn't spend too much time uh, running or you know lifting weights but now that's part of my daily routine so body-wise I feel great I just need to you know I've only had uh, over the last because we only had about a week of spring training or less than that I've only had like eight or ten at bats um, and so it's tough to and we had the season opener last night so you know, even though I'm not facing uh, big league pitching, it's still a little tough to get the timing down because I obviously haven't played in so long. But it felt it felt normal. It felt like I, you know, like I've done this before at some point in my life. So uh, it's just a matter of time. I get a few more games in and a few more bats, I'll be fine. What? So, Raphael, I'm just curious. I'm always intrigued by players that try and come back in any sport. So what would the wind-up be to this? In other words, are you hoping now to show enough to to regain some interest by a major league club, or is it just now to prove a point that you can go out there and compete with young guys half your age? Well, I, I definitely would you know, like to maybe get picked up. I mean, I, I'm okay. not doing this just to, to – prove to myself that I can play at a at a double A level, let's say for instance, because right. I think that's kind of where that's kind of the type of players that I'm playing with. Right. These are young guys. And so um I knew that I could do that. I just wanna show enough that maybe someone will give me a chance and uh, uh give me an opportunity to maybe get get back in the minor leagues and work my way up. In terms of uh the last twelve years and Getting yourself into this position, how tough, how tough has it been on you, and how long did it take you to to put the end of the major league career away uh, for you? I mean, to, to just kind of dismiss it now, and you played all those years. Everybody knows what the numbers were. Everybody knows how it ended for you. But how how long did it take you? Well, I put it this way: for about two years, I didn't watch baseball on TV. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I, you know, not that baseball was responsible for anything that happened to me, but I actually hated baseball. Uh, and I, you know, for someone that played baseball from the time I was a little kid, and I loved it. I mean, I absolutely loved baseball. Um, for the way that it ended for me after everything that I had put into it, you know, my whole life and effort and 
um, just gave it all that I ever had. Um, yeah, I, when everything happened, I just didn't even want to watch baseball on TV. Never went to a baseball game uh, at the stadium here in Arlington to watch the Rangers or anyone else. And it was even hard to go watch my kids play uh, when they were little, when they were, you know, in middle school and junior high and uh, high school. And so it was tough, but it, you know, it just started becoming easier and easier as the time went by. And, you know, then I became eligible for the Hall of Fame and I got a few votes and, you know, things were a little, uh, you know, as, t- as time went by, it just, that, uh, that bitterness and anger um, just kind of went away. And, um, now I'm just, I'm not worried about it anymore. I mean, it's just, it happened. It's, it's, I can't do anything about the past. I can't do anything about what happened in the past. And so now it's just, uh, you know, I, maybe things will be different here this time around. And if not, then I can live with it. Well, um, I, it'll be, it'll be a fun experience. I'm, I'm playing with Patrick, my son. And, uh, you know, worst case scenario, that's, if that's what it is, it's awesome because not, not too many dads can say that they played with their sons. Well, I know one thing. I'll, you know, having covered you twice, first time here for five years, and then your last two here in Baltimore, uh, I, I'm not putting anything past you. And, and in terms of maybe getting to the goal that you want to get to, I mean, I know what your work ethics like, and I know, I know you. So from that standpoint, I'll always be rooting for you. But I will say this. Uh, people on the outside say, well, you know, he's just doing this maybe to, you know, the Hall of Fame thing, but also, you, you know, but I think this is more just you trying to, you know, you love the game of baseball. You're trying to, you know, kind of go out on your terms, if you will. Yeah, well, believe me, it's not about the Hall of Fame because I've, I've been asked this every interview that I've done so far. They've asked me, you know, is this about the Hall of Fame and getting the clock started? Absolutely not. I don't want the clock to start again. I don't want that. You know, I never played baseball for the Hall of Fame. In fact, you know, most of my career, I never even thought about it. I was just playing baseball. You know, it, it was what I did for a living. It was how I supported my family. And it's a game that I loved as a child growing up. So I was living out my dream. Um, so that's why I played baseball. Towards the end, when my numbers started accumulating and people were, were saying, oh, you know, you, you have a chance at the Hall of Fame. And you have a chance to get 500 home runs and 3,000 hits and all of that stuff. That's when I started thinking about it, but it was never important. It was nothing. It was something that I didn't strive for. I, I wanted to play baseball because I loved it. I wanted to play on championship teams, get to the World Series. But it wasn't about the Hall of Fame. I don't want that clock to start. That's gone and over with. The only, the only thing that I've got left with the Hall of Fame is I think the Veterans Committee is coming up in the next few years. And if that happens, I would be grateful, and it would be an awesome deal. But if not, it's not going to change my life. I've already accepted the fact that my time my time came and went, uh, went uh, as far as the Hall of Fame. So the clock's not going to start. I don't want it to start. I want people to know that it's not about the Hall of Fame. This is about me. This is about me proving to myself that I can do it at the age of 53. And maybe, God willing, you know, I can sit down one day in front of, all of you in front of all the media and say goodbye. Thank you to all the people that I needed to thank and thank the media for allowing it to happen because I never had that opportunity. So if that happens, great. And if it doesn't happen, like I said, I'm going to be playing with my son and that's the thrill of a lifetime. Raphael, let me ask you a slightly different angle to this, this whole topic. There's a, a lot of former ball players 
that weren't even close to you in terms of their performance and their ability and how smart they were as hitters that then went on to teaching hitting. Is, is, is that something that interests you at all? I think so, yeah. I mean, it's um, obviously, you know, coaching. I mean, I, I do it now. I've been doing it uh, with, with little kids, and I've been doing it with my son's teammates. And so anytime I get to, to teach hitting and to coach others, I do it. Um, but, you know, throughout the last so many years, I've focused more on wanting to be able to go see my kids play and not be, uh, you know, tied down to a job whether right. it's the minor leagues or somewhere else where I can't go see Preston or Patrick when they were in college or even now in the minor leagues. So it is kind of tough, uh, you know, that I now I'm playing and I can't go see Preston, for instance, up in Maryland. Right. But it's okay because this is not, I mean, this is not going to be a long-term deal where I'm going to be playing for the next five or ten years. Right. Um, but, yes, definitely. I would be interested down the road if, uh, if a door would open up for me. I would look at it, definitely, yes. I, I haven't seen Patrick in quite a few years, but I have seen Preston, obviously, a couple different times in the last two years, and they always say the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Yeah. And I look at that swing of his, and I that's all I see is you. <laughs> yeah, he has a very similar swing, and, you know, when he was little, he, he, copied, uh, he copied his swing from Ken Griffith. He, he wanted to be like, uh, like Junior. But as he got older, he started, you know, doing more things like me, and he started doing his little tap. And so, yeah, it's it's scary because it's it's it almost looks identical to my swing. So I keep telling him, you know, because sometimes when he struggles, he gets upset, and I just tell him, look, you have the swing that I do, so you have a big league swing. Just keep working, keep grinding, and things will work out. And I believe that he has a, a future uh, in this game and hopefully in the big leagues. Well, I know one thing. He, he's gone from first base to second base, and that's what kind of a uh, – That's an interesting That's change. an interesting kind yeah. of move. Yeah, and I couldn't help him with it. When they, when they <laughs> told him that he was going to go to second base, I said, you better find somebody that can help you because I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Just be careful with, uh, with the runners coming in there and taking you out, but I guess – the game has changed so much that you can't really take out the second baseman anymore. I'll just tell you this, Raphael, the Orioles, and I know you know who I'm going to be talking about here in a second. Terry Crowley has been an organizational hitting coach in the Orioles minor leagues. And I'm not, I'm not saying he's still going full bore at it, but boy, between Norfolk, Delmarva, Frederick and Bowie, there's a lot of Oriole prospects within a couple hours uh, you know Brady Anderson pretty well. I think that's worth a conversation uh, at some point in time. I'm just giving you my two cents. Okay, yeah, you're right. I do know Brady. You know, yeah. you know we're teammates, obviously, and uh, at some point, I'll, I'll give him that call. Yeah, and I would think that would be something during an off, early in an off season, say, hey, I'd really like to do this or look into it. Could we? Could I come to Baltimore and talk? And uh, yeah. I'll bet he'd be open to talking to you. Because Crowley, Crowley's not going to go on forever. <laughs> no, I understand. He's a good man. I had a chance to to be with him some, and so uh, Terry's a wonderful uh, guy and a great yeah, he's a great coach. man. He understands hitting. All right, all right. Look, uh, you got work to do though before we even start to talk about that. You got to put put a good season together because we'll we'll I be will. we'll be watching for sure. I know, and there's a lot of people that are expecting. Uh, 
for me to be the type of player that I was back when I played. So I've, I've got to stay focused for me to reach that level again. All right. Rafi, thank you very much for coming on with us. Thanks a lot, pal. Appreciate it. You got it. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. All right. All right. See, I'm giving him career advice already. See, there you go. But he'd he's, be a great hitting coach. He's a good man, and we've had Preston on this show a couple of times. Yeah. And, you know, Preston's pretty insightful, too, as far as where he is at his career. Yeah. Uh, I just wish him all the luck in the world because I think he got a raw deal, obviously. Big Bats Cafe. Let's talk about Ken Island's original sports bar. If you're a Capitals fan, no better place to watch to rock the red tonight as they play Tampa in Tampa at what seven seven fifteen seven fifteen two sixteen St Clair Place in Stevensville Maryland. If you're going down to the Eastern Shore, it's the first exit off of the Bay Bridge. After the Bay Bridge, uh, you go up to the stop sign at Stevensville, make a left, and it's about an eighth of a mile down the road. Uh, there's no place better to stop, relax, and eat. Great place to watch the O's, Nats, Wizards, or Caps games or lacrosse games this afternoon. You sample the best bar grub around, sandwiches, salads, soups, and subs. It's a place that I call a little piece of baseball heaven. Big Bats Cafe, tell Steve Garland, Craig Heist and Stan the Fan sent you. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values. Earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. Are you looking for a great deal? Maybe you need that perfect, affordable outfit or clothes for growing kids. Or maybe you're looking for that hard-to-find collectible. Visit Goodwill today. Shop with a mission and find everyday low prices on thousands of items, including brand-name clothing, stylish accessories, shoes, and furniture. Come to Goodwill and see what you can find. When you shop at Goodwill, when you donate to Goodwill, you will help someone find a job. To find a store near you, visit give to goodwill.org. Visit Buffalo Wild Wings weekdays from 11 to 2 and take advantage of their new 15-minute lunch guarantee or your lunch is free. That's right, free. And with a 15-minute lunch guarantee, that means less time waiting and more time eating delicious B-dubs before you got to get back to the office. Buffalo Wild Wings, White Marsh, Owings Mills, and Westminster Wings Beer Sports available for dine-in orders at participating locations for a limited time. See restaurant for details. Matt, we normally come on here and tell everyone, go listen to Section 336 and just to take our advice to go listen to 336. Instead of us telling you why we're awesome, let's have other people tell you why we're awesome. This person says, definitely a bunch of Oriole fans who just want to be able to buy playoff tickets. Section 336 is the greatest Baltimore Orioles podcasts around look forward to listening every week these guys are coconuts and if that's not enough reason to listen they are a great listen if you want orioles talk even during the off season if you're lucky they might even talk about the ravens josh matt and bert are a must listen every week check section 336 out for yourself on itunes or wherever you get your podcasts Arena football is back in Charm City. The Baltimore Brigade, presented by MedStar Health, return for another season of football action at Royal Farms Arena. Tickets start as low as $14, and they're available at BaltimoreBrigade.com or by calling 667-930-0200. 
The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Bo Smolka looks at the final NFL draft for Ozzie Newsom as Ravens general manager and how he's built the franchise over the last two decades. Additionally, what does the future hold for UMBC after their historic NCAA tournament win over Virginia? Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Hey, it's Glenn, and you might not know this, but we actually have a great wrestling podcast. Well, it's an okay wrestling no, podcast. No, 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 don't sell us short, Glenn. This podcast involves the main event, AJ Francis. That means it is the best wrestling yeah, that, podcast. That, that, Look, just, just because you're bigger than us does not mean you're better than us. It does not mean you're the main event. The brains are the one that brings people to the table when it comes to podcasts, so it's me who brings people to job and out. Are you kidding me? Aaron Oster from the Baltimore Sun and Rolling Stone, you're the worst. Literally the worst. Like, no one has ever tuned in for your opinion. Got real, real, <laughs> real quick. It's jobbing out. Glenn Clark, Aaron and Oster and AJ Francis of the Washington Redskins he Terp. Every week we're talking pro wrestling. You can find it by going to Jobbing Out on iTunes or SoundCloud or by clicking on the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com We are back on to close things out of a very entertaining show. If you missed any of it, it's there for you. Uh, you can watch it at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports or you can go to Pressbox online slash radio, and you can hear parts of it. We had Rich Dubroff on, Dan O'Dowd from MLB TV. He's a studio analyst. Dave Shinen of the Washington Post. Mike Shallon of the New Hampshire Union Leader. And uh, the great Raphael Palmero, who uh, was terrific. I thought he was very good today. Kind of in, very insightful as far as what he's trying to do. And I think, I think. You know, a lot of this just has to do with him loving the game. And and, and you hit the, t- the, the the term right. He wants to go out on his own terms. He I, wants I think to be that's... able to have that goodbye with us and, uh, right. you know, the way it happens with most players. Well, yeah. And I, right. I just think he – and I think he deserves that chance regardless of – and we can argue about it till the cows come home. But, you know, uh, he just, he deserves to do that. To be able to do that because of the career that he had. Just curious, what happens when the cows come home? Why is everybody saying? Well, that? now there's a line. I, but use, I'm that, gonna... <laughs> I use that for. I guess you milk the cow, right? Well, well yeah, that, okay. that's a good one. <laughs> a good one. <laughs> All right, Brittany Everett, thank you. Enjoy your Preakness Saturday and what's left of the Royal like Wedding today? coverage. What do you like today? I can't see anybody beating Justify. Really? Yeah. Even even with this track being probably he, worse than it was at Churchill. Yeah, Downs. but he liked the going there, so I'm guessing he's going to like the going here. So right. I think he's going to be tough. I think his real tough race will be the Belmont. He'll meet because of the longer. Fresh, yeah. yeah well, he'll meet fresh horses, you know, that haven't uh, uh, that have had time off. Right. You know. All right. That does wrap up our show. Glenn Clark on Monday through Friday with Kyle Ottenheimer from 10 to 12. And, of course, tomorrow, Ken Zalis and Sarita Hubbard, the NFL chick with Fantasy and Reality Football Show.